Hello, friend. Welcome to the Watery Desho podcast. We are so happy to have the pleasure of your company. If this is your first time listening, sit back, relax. We hope you enjoy. If you are coming back because you enjoy our content and you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Desho. We've got all kinds of fun rewards and bonus content like early access, Discord roles, additional audio and video content, all in three budget-friendly tiers. If you're not able to support us financially, no biggie. We totally understand. If you'd like to help us out uh, for free, you can always give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our discoverability. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Twitter, at WaterWeDeshow. You can always send us an email at WaterWeDeshow at gmail.com if you want to correspond with us. We may not get to read every correspondence on the show, but I can promise you that we do read and try to respond to every single one because we do love our community, which we hope you'll be a part of. Thank you for your kind attention, friend. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Feeling like this is fantasy. Feeling like this is anime. It's the night that we hit the Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon, <laughs> etc. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, and envies, it's Watery Desho back at ya with Stream of Thought. Um, Episode X, the untitled one, the, the black, yeah, the black spine is... episode, the uh, the um, how should we put it? Amazon, you know, anime jail time hell episode because thanks to mm. sports ruining everything mm-hmm. as always for everyone, there is no Finland saga this week, and they of course had to do it on the most you know, bit like you know dramatic and heavy cliffhanger of the entire show thus far, which was of course fourth in fighting for Kel. We're not seeing that this week. We just have to kind of yeah. imagine it. You just have to kind of play it out in your head. Like, I mean, if you like watch a couple of wrestling videos, I'm sure that'll give you some idea of how it will play out. Um, so yeah, sports have ruined everything again, as always. Um, so we're instead this time around going to be talking about other shows that we've been watching this season that we've not really talked about publicly before, at least on the stream, uh, which I think we did last time, actually, when there was a brief downtime yep. between, uh, was it Neverland and Sarazamai, if I remember correctly? Could have been. Yes. Could have been. Yes, it, it was definitely that. It was not the, it wasn't the Vinland downtime because we watched all the episodes and dropped one uh, one episode of hours per week so that we would not really lose much of anything and we'd be covering the show every week. So this was definitely, yeah, pre-Saras and my spring 2019 episode. So all, now we're doing all, all those many decades ago. I know. Yeah, right. Uh, forever and ever ago when it was a different time, uh, different world. But yeah, today we are like, like <laughs> there's no number for this episode. So uh, four twenty, we'll go with that. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, we're not going to be doing some of the usual stuff we do. Like, I don't think we're going to be doing any polls or no. any creative uh, talk, just because there'd be like so much ground to cover. 
as, as far as creatives, and then the polls would kind of be all over the mm-hmm. place. I think we're going to like keep those with the Vinland. Yep. Uh, but we, we have a ton to talk about. Uh, we got, you know, B-Stars, got Stars Align, mm-hmm. got uh, plenty more. Um, but hopefully these will be things that you are watching. And if anybody wants to, in the Twitch chat, um, I guess or even on Twitter, uh, you know, at us, uh, get in chat, talk about things that, uh, or ask us questions that you want us to talk about. Because mm, we're, each one, we're not going to be, this is going to be sort of different for us because usually we watch the same stuff and talk about it. Yes. In this case, Shadon has been watching a few things. I've been watching a few things and there's no overlap in the Venn diagram. Yeah. So of course I have things I want to ask Shadon and vice versa about the shows he's been watching, but if there's anything you want us to touch on in particular, please do chime in on uh, twitch.tv slash show uh, or tweet us uh, when, you know, if you're watching on Periscope mm-hmm. and don't want to hop over to Twitch. Absolutely. Uh, we'll try to try to keep, uh, I, I task Shadon. Shadon, I dub the knight of checking Twitter. Uh, rise, <laughs> I, good sir. I will handle that. So, social your media. Um, so... Yeah, um, this is what we're going to be doing since no Vinland. And I'm, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to place a strategic bet and say that the top billing and the thing that people probably want to hear most about is Beastars. Mm. So I'm going to toss the ball <laughs> over to you. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, oh. um, this is me throwing <coughs> you a curveball and not me just, mm-hmm. you know, forgetting the basic human task of drinking. Something that I should have mastered when I was one. Well, evidently, I must have forgotten that. No, um, I'm going to say Beastars for last uh, for two reasons. Oh, okay. For two reasons. First off, I have two other things I want to discuss firstly, and both of them feature some incredibly heavy shit. Uh, so there is going to be a content warning for all of the following wonderful things as I go forward. Suicide, misogyny, sexual abuse, child abuse... Uh, an incredibly creepy worm shit. What is the last one? You'll you'll know what? when we get to it. Uh, so I'm just warning you ahead of time, like the shows that I'm going to be covering up until okay. and before Beastars, there's going to be some heavy stuff. So if you want to just like, you know, pretend I'm like reciting King Lear or some shit like that, you can just mute the stream as I start talking and then just imagine that Doc is nodding along and saying, why, yes, that is some good Shakespeare. Oh my. Perfect. Um, yes. So I'm going to start Babylon. So what is Babylon? It's obviously, you know, it's not the origin story. Science of... fiction. <laughs> <It's>... Television. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, It is not actually Babylon 5, nor is it actually, you know, um, the uh, currently airing Fate Apocrypha Demon Babylon Mumbo Jumbo, whatever it's called, I don't know. Uh, nor is it a side project that explores Gilgamesh's origin story. Babylon kind of caught me by surprise, but I was immediately intrigued to watch it when I realized it was airing on Amazon for one reason and one reason alone. Uh, it is written by Mado Nozaki, uh, as in he mm. actually wrote the original novel um, that the show is based on. So, who is Mado Nozaki? Well, his name actually rhymes with another show that he wrote, believe it or not, that you and I have both covered. Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun. No. <laughs> I wish it was. But you Can are you wrong. rhyme something with itself? I don't think that counts as a rhyme. Well, Cardo, <laughs> the right answer. Mm-hmm. He wrote that. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. he wrote 
everyone's favorite, you know, redheaded, you know, inbred bastard child of a sci-fi anime show. Oh my Cardo, god. Uh, which we have done a podcast on before. And if you want to know what our general opinion is, or at least rather I'll speak for myself here and not for Doc, my opinion of it, imagine getting blue balled and then imagine getting pushed down a flight of stairs. That's what it was I mean, like. No, it's yeah, it is that's pretty much my opinion. Like it is the poster child for squandered potential. Oh, in yeah. my opinion. Absolutely. Um, but I want to revisit the Well of Cardo very quickly just to frame what I want to talk about with Babylon. Because what Cardo did that a lot of sci-fi shows uh, in general don't really do is that they're more. Ex- it was more about exploring big concepts. Like, how do things change on a macro rather than micro level? Like, let's take, say, Steins Gate. Steins Gate, you got time travel. But the time travel is not about how it changes society, but rather how it affects the lives of the individual characters in that. So that's your typical, it's stereotypical, I mean to say, uh, I don't know what typical means, that's just me slowing my words. Uh, that's your stereotypical micro-level sci-fi story. Uh, but Cardo was fascinating to me because it felt like kind of one of those classic, like, Arthur C. Clarke um, or Stephen mm. Bach's, like, some of the stuff I've got on my shelf back there, for example, or even a bit of Asimov, maybe, if you want to go so far as that. Uh, those kind of stories, which were more about, like, how does technology affect and change society, and rather, in this case, how does first concept change that? And you know what? I will give absolute credit to Mardo Nozaki for the first half of that book before he lost his fucking mind. Uh, he did great. It was great. Cardo was a wonderful show. I look forward to watching it every week. And then it hit around episode six, and I just felt the encroaching sense of dread. Like, oh. It... <laughs> and then, unfortunately, you know, we got the asinine ending in which I think... I. I don't want to say awful things about Mado if I can at all help it, because I'm sure that he's a fine person, but if he's ever talked to an actual living, breathing woman, I would be very, very surprised. <laughs> and bear that in mind for when we actually, you know, get into talking about Babylon in just a moment. Okay, so what is Babylon actually about? Uh, the premise, which I'll sum up briefly for you, is that it's essentially centered around this public prosecutor named Suzaki. Uh, Suzaki is tasked with investigating a false advertising uh, claim against a biomedical pharmaceutical firm. Um, didn't didn't Kato star some kind of like lawyer or litigator or something? Also, he, he like was a, a negotiator, civil servant. Oh yeah, Shindo. <laughs> That's right. Shindo was was, wasn't that like the subtitle or something? No, like, the, the uh, subtitle was the right answer. The right answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he, he was indeed the right. Negotiator. So you can yeah, already yeah. now. Funny enough, Doc has just hit on something. Here. I want you to pay attention to what the premises I read it out here and all the things they discuss, and just note certain similarities. Just just bear that in mind. Um. So Sizaki is tasked with investigating this problem, and it then leads to things going out of control real quickly. Uh. Not least of which his his investigative partner, uh, actually ends up committing suicide. So this is where the content warning comes in, because suicide is one of mm. the big topics of the entire show. Um, and he believes that he was murdered. It wasn't suicide, you know, it was just made to look like that. Um, but all the evidence suggests it was. And then things get even more crazy because there is a new district of, I believe, Tokyo named Shiniki, which is being developed as kind of an autonomous... Wait a minute. Sorry? Wait a minute. Say that word again. Shiniki? Shiki? I don't know. Sneaky, like she's a real right sneaky one. Well, considering <laughs> like, what happens in this town, uh, <laughs> yes, I would, I would agree. Sneaky, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Shiniki, that's what it's called. Uh, oh, Shiniki, okay. Shiniki. Uh, I, I probably I thought it was like S C H N. 
Should we have I that? Care, like, should we have that once the board of things that I horrifically mispronounce? No, 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 no. Like, like, this is just my ear. I, I mispronounce a new thing every single time, folks. I don't I think, think it's a mispronunciation. What I need to do, what I need to do is I need to have like this little trapdoor above me that has balloons, and every time I mispronounce something, they just start peeling out and like little air horns go off. Okay, so cheeky, uh, there, place, location, mm-hmm. town uh, mm-hmm. is right. Yeah. Mostly autonomous, like it's being developed as kind of like social engineering pro- uh, project for Tokyo, where it'll have its own laws, its own government, it'll kind of do its own thing, really, but still kind of answer to you know the to- the Japanese diet and all that. Um, and so the running mayor for the first election announces that if he actually gets elected, he is going to pass a law that legalizes and legitimizes suicide in Shiki. Uh, so people, if they want to kill themselves, they can do, and it will be sanctioned by the government. Hmm. And this, by the way, is announced on live television with the death of 64 people jumping off a giant high-rise building. So if you think Babylon is like, you know, yeah, I see that look. If you think Babylon, like, you know, is going to hold back in any way or be, you know, like, subtle, mm, it can be, but there are times it's going to make its point very, very clear. Wow. That was the third episode, by the way. Uh, like with Vinland Saga, Babylon, you know, had a gap where it had the first three episodes out and then went without for a while. And I was just there like, you absolute pricks. How the f- fuck can you leave off on a cliffhanger like that? Cliffhanger maybe not the most appropriate term here. But, you know, without, like, going any further. It was crazy. Um, but the wrinkle, wow. things get further complicated, though, because there is a woman involved named I Magase. Who is I Magase, mad? Well, she was seen with both uh, Suzaki's partner, with the mayor, and some other people. But she looks different to every person, although she's the same individual. And apparently she's been whispering huh. sweet somethings into their ears and potentially making them do the acts they do. Uh, I mean, this it is called Babylon. What do you get out of Babylon? The titular whore of Babylon. And I think that, as James Beckett put it in his review... Not a bunch way, of languages? No. Um, but as James Beckett put in his reviews, by the way, do check out his ongoing coverage of the show on a because he's doing some great work over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned that she could very well be the... Oh, this story's reinterpretation of that myth. Uh, which, well, pretty much as you would expect, uh, sickly tied into the Book of Revelation and, you know, God's condemnation. And considering that suicide is seen in Christianity uh, as a sin, you can start to tie the uh, loose ends here together. So, can I get some clarity on why it was legalized? Like, what what's the thinking there? You know, this is funny, because I was actually looking this up before on Wikipedia, uh, whether or not it was illegal, uh, suicide was illegal in Japan or not, and currently it is not. Uh, a betting okay. in it is, and euthanasia is, uh, but the actual act, therefore, of doing it is not. Uh, just to lay my cards on the table here, if you want my perspective as someone who has suffered from suicidal ideation in the past. Um, making it illegal is, to me, the most redundant and pointless exercise one can engage in. You don't really want to punish people who, obviously failing the acts um and you know when they clearly need help but what i think that you the question is being asked here is whether or not it's not just a question of you know well you know if you want to do it you do it but you're not going to tell you how versus providing the means to do so because in the story of babylon uh, you might recall the pharmaceutical company i remember i mentioned they've developed a drug that basically puts you into a permanent death state 
coma. Kills you for all intents and purposes. And it's completely painless. I mean... But it doesn't it, really kill you. Apparently, well, for all intents and purposes, it does. I mean, it, it was not very... Dis- it was described a bit ambiguously, but considering they actually buried uh, Sezaki's partner who took said pill, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to assume that he's very much dead. Either that, or he's waking up very confused right now. And with a so, listener out but, there. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, anyway. Karen. Karen? Oh, I just... I, so what's the... What's the political gain from someone that's, making it that's, illegal? That, that's still being unraveled. That's part okay. of the central okay, okay, okay. mystery. Um, gotcha. And indeed, the most recent episode, episode six, which I watched just prior to this stream, uh, has a live TV debate between uh, Itsuki, who is the prospective mayor of Shiniki, who wants to li- put this law in place, uh, and various other political parties who are opposing him, who all offer their own standpoints, ranging from uh, the rather cold socioeconomic one, where, oh, uh, you know... Mm-hmm. If someone dies, then they can't contribute to the economy anymore, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and also then to the moral ethical. You, you're probably all aware of this kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, to lay my cards on the table, I'm of the opinion that, you know, it's tough to think about. And this is one of the things I appreciate Babylon is it doesn't pull its punches with this particular subject matter. Although I don't think it does it enough justice either, which I'll cover in a second. Um, and by the way, when I said before about similarities, you might recall you and I discussing in Cardo, particularly in the earlier episodes, about the societal impacts of all the changes that were brought about because of first contact in that. And that, that I think, is um, Mardo's, like, real strength as a writer. Like, understanding, like, societal shifts and how, like, to really examine an issue, maybe not entirely from all of its angles, but so to give it a fair cop to give it plenty of meat to think about. Because the debate um, that happened in this episode just gone was probably one of the most interesting parts of the show's run because we get counter-arguments uh, from Itsuki, which are not inherently flawed. Like, there is a logic and a reasoning to his, his words. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, for example, like, you know, the moral and ethical argument is, well, the law says, it, you know, like, it's been against, you know, morals and ethics, like, but he points out, well, morals and ethics change, so maybe we should re-examine them, you know? They even mentioned, like, you know, how homosexuality was decriminalized. And so he points out, well, hey, that changed. Why can't this change? Not an unreasonable sentiment. Doesn't mean we, of course, change our mind in the end and say there is suddenly, you know, a thing that the government should sanction or allow. Sure. But nonetheless, it's not an unreasonable question to ask, in my opinion. So from my point of view, I... If I were to be comfortable with such a thing being uh, put in place or being allowed for a government to sanction and provide the means for which people to do it through, say, the drug mentioned in the show, it would, of course, have to follow basically, like, you know, massive intervention on a per-person level to bring them, you know, about. Because for a lot of people, like, you know, suicide is what they feel is a last resort, but in reality, it's obviously not true. There's more values to their life than that. I mean, I can speak from that from personal experience here. Um, so this is all really, really fascinating stuff on Babylon's part. And I really, really appreciate that it's not taking a soft touch with this kind of stuff, and it's not treating the issue reasonably well. It does have some flaws, though. Uh, for one thing, it doesn't consider the group of people who are actually most invested in having laws like this passed, where not only is suicide legal, but then its uh, cousin, euthanasia, is also legal, which is people who are in basically, you know, body locks, like your people with motor neuron mm-hmm. disease, people with all those kind of awful conditions that mean they can't have the quality of life that you and I as able-bodied people can. Uh, I mean, there's still 
I think at like at least every two years, if not more frequently, I always seem to catch in the news in the United Kingdom that there are people who suffer that where they just want their right to die because they are completely bodylock. They can't talk, they can't, you know, eat, they can't move. They're just basically existing. They're breathing. And from my perspective, philosophically, like that isn't living, that's just surviving. You're basically not doing much more than being in a petri dish. You know, you can't really engage with people in that manner. Uh, the high courts, of course, and the Supreme Courts have ruled numerous times against that. So if you think that this issue like, is just strictly a work in a work of fiction like is in Babylon, not so much. I mean, certain elements of it certainly are, which I'll be getting to when I talk about iMagasay in a minute. Um, so I appreciate but it doesn't actually cover, like, involve characters or people from that group, even though they have most stakes in it, which I find a bit of an odd admission. But I think that I'm okay with it because I think it's more a question of people's quality of life that they're like, as in like perception, perceived quality of life, like regular people who are not physically ill so much, but rather mentally ill or emotionally unsatisfied, like people who have feel like they've come to their wits end. So yeah, um, I really, really like this. And on top of that, the show's also got a good eye handle on like, you know, what must Izaki do in order to stop this from happening? Because technically it's, he's broken no laws. He can't be proven to have betted suicide on the part of those 64 people. And he has a very strong sense of justice, but that gets challenged as the show goes along to the point where he has to start committing immoral acts. In the most recent one, spoilers if you've not watched it yet, he plans to kidnap Itsuki because he can't physically prove, like after new, like several days of investigating with a full team under his command, that he's actually committed any crime. So he's going to kidnap him to prevent him from actually running in the election. Like, how far do we go? To stop this from happening is it right that he's even stopping it from happening there's, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here um and i like I say like with cardo this kind of societal <clears throat> examination incomplete though it is in certain respects is the most fascinating part of it and it's really really refreshing and unique in anime to see that happening he uh he swings swings for the fences this guy oh he does like holy he, like he like i really I was goes like big. I was like, holy shit, when it, like when episode two wrapped up and it was like, this is what's going on, I'm like, Whew. holy crap. However, however, uh, because this is, you know, the guy who wrote Cardo and the Cardo has a massive <laughs> however. Right. Uh, let's yeah. talk about iMagasay. Oh boy. All right. There's no easy way to put this. <laughs> Um, there's no polite way to put this because the show certainly doesn't like hold off on this. Um, so I apparently is a shapeshifter of some sort as far as the, I don't know if not that's literal or not, but like she has presented herself as three different people. Maybe she's just a master of disguise. Who can say? Uh, but she is categorically capable of controlling men. Like they just start drooling all over her whenever she approaches them. Uh, indeed, uh, Suzaki in episode five uh, meets up with her uncle and he like talks about her childhood and how and I'm not making this up and this is where I say like this starts to get into Cardo territory of how you know Mado can't seem to you know understand women or possibly has never spoken to one uh like a couple of I's classmates when she was 15 all approached him he was like a psychotherapist working at the school they're at and they claim that she's raped all of them but on top of that they all immediately admit and say, we were raped, but she never touched us. Because it was up here. Right. 
could this all mean? I don't fucking know. Uh, not yet, anyway. Um, but keep, just keep bearing this in mind, you know. Like, so she is apparently capable of controlling the minds of men. Oh dear. And this is in a show where you know a lot of men and women such have committed suicide because they've wanted to do it, and they apparently have might have been pushed by an external force to do so. Got a faint whiff of the old misogyny there, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm, like, here's the thing, right? However I does this, like, if it's her literally just exercising her powers as a woman, quote-unquote, as, like, the main woman of the show, to do these things to drive people to kill themselves purely for her own sadistic pleasure, as in the Whore of Babylon, uh, no, uh... Please, please, no. Like, I, I know that, you know, there's enough people out there who think women are at the root of all evil. Maybe don't make that actually the literal point of your show in which, you know, is trying to discuss the complexities of suicide law and legislation. Just a thought, <laughs> you know? But then you have the counter problem, which is if she's not, super, like, you know, using her uh, wiles to do that, like, how is she doing it? Is it supernatural? Is she a collective delusion on the part of, like, various people? How does this work? I'm really not sure right now, but every avenue I travel down trying to piece this together about what the plan is with her in the show, apart from simply making her like the lead villainess, it doesn't end... It doesn't end tastefully, let's put it that way. Hmm. It is suggested that she is responsible, by the way, for brainwashing Itsuki into even doing this in the first place, the prospective mayor of Shiniki, by the way. So... I have not got a successful opinion on this yet because obviously the show is not over. But let's be this way: when when she was the only female character for the first three episodes, and then we get Suzaki's new uh, partner who replaces his old one, who of course killed himself in the first episode, uh, who is a lady. That's good. That's a good thing. Although I'm going to put twenty pounds now that because I Magase is a shapeshifter, that his new partner is her somehow. Right. Which would be. It would be so fucking stupid if that were true. If that happened, we would hit full Cardo at that point. We would hit full, oh, here's my 16-year-old daughter with fifth-dimensional powers popping out of a limousine to fuck you up. Oh, only five minutes after my dad got killed. Whoops. <laughs> do you remember that shit? I yeah, remember that shit. <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I liked the character design. That's about this. So is, uh, is this one, like... Uh heavy cg like like no no this is entirely i think this is actually by the same studio or a sub studio of wit studio who are doing um Mm. finland and the reason i say this is because they have the same like studio opening which is the guys on the bike just with a different logo on the jacket at the back i'm not 100 percent sure on this but i get the impression that's the case i'm gonna give Babylon one of a pointer in its favor though, which is the first couple of episodes, not so much recently, had some really good like directional flourishes. Um, like I've mentioned before about Sezaki's like you know being big into justice and all that. So every time he and his superiors are having a discussion about the flexibility of the law and its absolute nature, you always see like scales in the background, for example, the scales of justice. Um, or like when he's going into a meeting and there's a sign in the foreground of the emergency exit, which is pointing opposite to them. So, you know, they're having to go into, like, a really desperate situation, like, meeting to discuss something, but there's no escape for them. They have to face it. So it helps draw that to focus. There's a lot of good stuff in the early episodes. The more recent ones, nothing's really stuck out to me. Doesn't mean they aren't there, of course. Don't take my word for it. 
So I I'm really Revo Root. Revo Root appears to be the series. That's uh, the right. studio. Rather. Um so here's a question I have about this. Like it it sounds like a lot of big ideas mm-hmm. are at play. It sounds like, like a locado. What's um what's the kind of on the ground? Hi Sophie. What's the kind of on the ground thread that we're following? Like whose perspective? So we're so we're we're following Suzaki as he tries Suzaki. to you know, unravel like the mystery behind I Magasay uh, Itsuki as he's running for mayor. Try and piece together all of these various threads to find out what the ultimate goal is behind this, because the law itself, like you know, being passed can't possibly be a good thing in his eyes. Like his perspective is pretty clear on that. He doesn't believe in it. Um, I don't think the show is necessarily using him as a mouthpiece to outright put that thing down, but nonetheless, like, it follows more of a police procedural kind of style at the mm-hmm. start. Like, there's a lot of investigation of, like, you know, data files and stuff like that going around, speaking to the uncle, for example. Um, there's a couple of things going on, but that's the very ground-level kind of stuff. Um, okay. While it does do with the... Um, in fact, like, you know, we said Ricardo, where they had all the negotiation shit, there was, like, the ground-level kind of stuff versus the wider ideas... Mm-hmm. Kind of the same format, basically, just in a different setting and with different ideas being explored instead. Okay. So it sounds like uh, hard-boiled police procedural, big ideas, political shenanigans, something maybe sort of seinen in nature, made for Japanese older men. <laughs> and if you like that kind of thing, then, you know, jump on this. It sounds it sounds intriguing. It's certainly fascinating, um, and... Like I say, if it if it just somehow unravels the old its own uh, you know I Magasay problem, which it seems to have created for itself, where it's a bit questionable in its overtones, like in its uh, the readings that you take for it, which is that oh the reason that people are so depressed and want to kill themselves is because of women, yikes, big big oh, yikes. Wow. That's, wow. Yeah. Oh. Especially since she's like the lead one and she's like you know just basically like all feminine and charming and using her charms like you know have a wicked way with men and all that. Uh, apparently. Who can say? We're going to find out more as the series goes along, of course. Um, I'm off for the ride, but I just hope it doesn't have the same problem as Cardo does, which is that it lets the you know wider discussion of the ideas, it's got like the big picture stuff, uh, fall by the wayside in favour of absolute bullshit. Because we all remember that bullshit, don't we? That's <laughs> a lot of it. Much as we may try to forget. Two thirds of the show. <laughs> so first would... four episodes, great. Oh yeah. Really good stuff. And then pretty quickly after he introduces the first miracle technology, it's like takes a nosedive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to play on the chat, Dana's just said that one where men felt violated because woman has too much sex appeal. That is not that is not really uh, an exaggeration. That is pretty accurate. Oh, um, man. And I'm, as wow. I say, very much aware of it, and I'm just going to keep an eye on it. I'm watching I'm watching you show in more ways than one. Um, but if it can, like, you know, push that to the side, like this episode, the most recent one, didn't feature iMagasay in there at all. It was all about the big debate, and that was the most fascinating part of it. It was the best part of the show thus far. So if it can stay focused on that and just... Gently nudge that stuff to the side. I think I'll end up really liking it. It'll probably be, if not one of the better shows, at least it's one of the more unique ones I'll have covered this year. 
Mm-hmm. If, however, it decides to bring that to the fore and censor and go, hey, women, lads, you know, you can't trust them. <laughs> can't trust those minxes. All how it's a lot of them. I tell you, look at this hey, one. Hey, women, lads. Make, make, make it... <laughs> Making them jump off buildings and all that, tut, tut, tut. Should be, you know, more restrained and all that, more chaste. You know, unlike the titular horror of the show's oh. name. Uh, if it gets to that thing, then, well, it can go fuck itself, because then it will pull a full card over. Hey, women, lads. That's, what a great... <laughs> that's great. Oh, man. Anyway, okay. Uh, that's all I really have to say on Babylon. Uh, if you've seen the chat, of course, and got your own thoughts on it, then uh, chuck them in there. Because uh, I'd very much like to hear your uh, own opinions on it. Uh, I will also say again, just to remind you, I would very strongly recommend checking out James Beckett's ongoing uh, week-on-week reviews on Anime's News mm-hmm. Network. Because basically, he's his writing on it is really good. He's articulated the stuff I've tried to get across a lot better. Um, I would very highly recommend you check it out um, and give James a follow while you're at it. He's a good lad. Is that is that bucket? You know, he's a he good guy. He's a good bucket. He's a good book. He's a good bucket. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, well, I guess I should get uh my really heavy show out of the way. Oh boy. Um so most of what I have to talk about, most of the shows are pretty fun and generally like lighthearted or um I don't know, just with with a real sense of fun and this one show is a lot of things. And it's extremely good. I highly recommend it. Uh, but I would not call it fun. And that's Stars Align. Um, I've heard Stars a lot Align, about this one. Yeah. So Stars Align is about the soft tennis club of a certain middle school. I uh, I kind of caught up on it all in one chunk, which I don't recommend you doing. I recommend Ooh. you doing this show bit by bit because, uh, and you've already given the content warning for this, and this carries over. Uh, because of child abuse. Oh boy. Um, and <sighs> it's not um, it's not oh boy, like oh no, like this is some bullshit or whatever. It's well, I- I'll get to that. I'll get to that because that's not like the main, the the amount of screen time devoted to it is not much, but it it's one of those things that is so real that it it kind of colors all the you know the characters' experiences that it happens to. Uh, and as you go forward, you find out, oh my gosh, like it's it's happened to more people. <laughs> like, god damn. But no, it's a story about the soft tennis club and a transfer student who I believe is called Katsuragi. Um I, I'm really I'm gonna skip most of the names though, uh, because I just can't remember them. Um But he and his mom have moved to this new place. You get the feeling at the very beginning that they move around all the time. Mm. Um, and because at the beginning, like it's just from the dialogue between he and his mom, like, Oh, it's another new apartment. This time we're on the eighth floor as opposed to this other floor or whatever. But, um, they've been here before they're moving back here. So Mm. Katsuragi, it turns out he knows someone in his class and that is the captain of the soft tennis club. Um, it's very important that at the very beginning of the show, you see a student council meeting where the student council president says, all right, the way the funding for clubs has happened up to this point is every club gets equal portion. But some clubs suck and other clubs <laughs> rule. So for the clubs that suck, if you keep sucking, 
you're going to lose your funding and get disbanded. And some clubs like, you know, win national championships and they're very prestigious to the school and they will get the money that you leeches are using up. And the girls soft tennis club is apparently quite good. They go to nationals all the time. They're great. Um, the boys soft tennis club for a long time has been shit. Uh, and you see that in the first episode, there's a scrimmage between the girls and the boys and the boys get annihilated. Whoops. Uh, mo- most of them are so sort of like comfortable with being mediocre and kind of used to it that they're not really trying to the best of their ability. Uh, the captain tries quite hard, but, um, you know, he's not this like he's he's a above average player, but he's not like a prodigy and he kind of can't carry a doubles match. So when he learns Katsuragi's back, he's like, oh, you need to join the team. And he eventually persuades him to do so after much haggling. Mm-hmm. Um but the sport, uh, as as is the case with most sports shows, the sport is just kind of um, a backdrop and a reason for yeah. this group of characters to interact with each other and get to know each other and for you to see the highs and lows of their lives, the, the joys and the pains and the drama. Mm-hmm. And there is quite a bit of drama between the characters. Um, on the club like not all is well with the club they have not reached that point up to episode three where i've left off um that they're all sort of like pulling in the same direction and they're all motivated and excited to win in fact uh one of the members like is so annoyed that this new guy katsuragi is so good which by the way turns out he's a bit of a tennis prodigy despite never having played before he's very very good and you might be thinking, oh, here we go, like anime, superstar, <laughs> bullshit, unrealistic. But there's actually a lot of precedent for that sort of thing in real life. Like if you follow sport, you know, you'll see things like um, it's not the case with every player, of course, but occasionally players that are just these incredible athletes, like you'll hear, oh, they didn't start playing this sport until they were 18 years old. You're like, mm-hmm. what? Like, Theo Walcott didn't start dribbling a soccer ball until he was 12 years old. What? what? You're kidding me. You know, things like that. I'm going to have to um, start using that. Like, what? At various points, it, mm-hmm. like, you know, during the stream, like, you're going to reveal something pretty shocking to me later and go, what? Totally. Um. And, okay. So, so yeah, Um. That that shouldn't be, like, a barrier. Like, he happens to be very good. And... It's also only kind of showed how good he is compared to the other boys. Like maybe uh, if things progress in the show and they actually play a good team or they play against the girls again, maybe his kind of deficiencies will show. But for now, he's the by mile, he's the best. Um, mm-hmm. Maki is. Thank you, Dana, for using it in chat. Um, and yeah, like they definitely show like in the beginning, he's like running when he doesn't need to run. So like, when, when you see that he has all this stamina and the ability to cover so much ground, it's like, oh, well, he just loves to run, and it showed that before. Da, 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 da. Again, the, I think the, the big draw is, like, the character interactions, the character drama. Hmm. Like, again, some of the boys are not very pleased that, that Maki is so good. They want, you know, they're like, it's not really, it's not so good for him to get such a, so full of himself. And, hmm. like, when you hear it, it's like, it sounds so sinister. Because this is sort of a show where you feel like anything could happen. Um, Because there's a scene where um, these two bullies are 
coming to bother the tennis club, making fun of the fact that one of the two kids' parents are both dead. And then oh, the kid man. just the kid walks up and just clocks a guy with a racket. As as they like, should. Like if you're gonna like if you're gonna bully well, but, someone in high school or elementary or primary or whatever you want to call it, like you can do things like, you know, maybe take the mick about not that I'm condoning any of this of course. Like, you know, take the mick out of the hair. Say this say the spy. Say they're a swat or a nerd. But say, ah, your parents are dead. Like, don't be a dick. If you well, happen to, you know, find yourself in your younger, you know, a younger self, like, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't suddenly indulge in that. Don't, don't. Oh, divorced. Dude. Sorry, they're split up. I'm, oh, bloody. <laughs> um, but, uh, I thought it's, uh, well, anyway, I thought that they lived by themselves. I thought that was the idea. But, um, because when they were walking back home, the sister was like, hey, like, I'm taking care of you. I'm cooking dinner. It just seemed like, I don't know. Anyway, but well, Dana's clearly paying way more attention than me. But what they were making fun of the kids' family situation, regardless. I was going to say, um, by your standards, that means my parents are dead. Oh, stop. <laughs> I guess the mine are dead, too. Um, so, like... Um, gosh, where was... Now I've lost my train of thought. Um... Yeah, and and the uh the captain is very frustrated because like he sees these kids and in a lot of anime like it would be really easy to get everyone on side and mm. be like, all right, now we have a good player. Let's all try really hard. Like this is the way it is in like I don't know Inazuma Eleven or certain baseball anime I've watched. But like, not only is like are the kids not coming around. Like, a lot of them are very resentful about the situation, you know? That mm. this newbie... Here's this newbie, like, why does he think he's better than everybody? Like, fuck this guy. And, like... And, on t- and, and you know, the relationship between the main character and the captain is a little tenuous because the captain really wants him to be there to help save the club. Mm. Um, but he's just so frustrated with everyone else at the club that it's, like, it's hard for him to he's having to teach the guy like t- the fundamentals and it's just hard for him to balance all this um and he gets really frustrated and at one point he just leaves the team for a few days because he can't handle how shitty they all are after a year of playing compared to this one guy who just comes up and yeah is great but but like the parent stuff right the child abuse stuff so Oh, here's here's the other layer to the show. Um, so uh, Maki's, um, yeah, so here Dana again, like um, this kid, uh, Ritsuka is who I'm talking about. Like, I think either the parents are dead or the kids live by themselves because Maki told Ritsuka. I know what it's like, except I have a mom at home. And they were saying that he had no parents at home, the bully. So I'm pretty sure, like, this kid's parents are not a part of his life. At the very worst, they're dead. Anyway, main character, single mom, you know, the dad is gone. Well, uh, at a certain point, um, when he's home alone, because the mom works all the time, she's gone a lot. Oh, um, boy. She has to support everything. So the dad shows back up, clearly pissed. And comes to take some money, and when uh, the kid won't cooperate, he slaps him and kicks him in the stomach and stuff. As 
Issa is a deadbeat dad. There's like a shitty garbage human father. Oh, um, great. And... I'm, like, I'm like, you know, exercising my ability to predict the future here, folks. Like, you know, to just fill in the next 15 seconds of time. And this happens in real time. So as Doc is reading this out, I'm just kind of thinking ahead. All right, what's the worst possible thing that could happen next? Mm-hmm. And I'm already, I'm already primed just to be like, but although, it's so. Although to be fair, that's why I'm gonna have to save my next topic. So. <laughs> and and this guy, like, you see in other scenes, like where, and and Maki does have, I guess, an older brother or something, because he's there having dinner with them in one episode, um, and he's talking to the mom, and Maki leaves for a while. And then they start having this conversation like, does he know we're here? And mom's like, no, he has no idea we're here yet. Mm-hmm. Maki's in a club, so he'll be gone a lot. That's good. I'm trying to get a restraining order, but it hasn't gone through. It's stuck in the courts. Oh, so until the, right. so like she's clearly taking steps to like get this shit back out of their life. But like, you know, it, and he basically his appearance is like um, a very stereotypical Yakuza. Like suit with an open collar, tinted glasses, like a little beard. C- considering the recent Yakuza games have actually portrayed some of the characters as being like loving fathers, when you're actually worse than them, you know you fucks up. You know yeah. you failed. Come on. And there's a really good so um uh one of our chat uh I see night, I believe. Talked about the class consciousness, which is a which is a thing, um, because like all sorts of reasons. But like the captain basically has to buy everything to do with tennis for the main character because mm. his family has no money. Um, mm, but, they, they, but they need him to play, you know. By any chance, hmm. you know, well, maybe, it, maybe old Matthew, you know, being taken to the guitar shop. Well, I'm they're similar. The, the shows are similar in this respect, I think. Um, that you really wonder how Japanese school kids can focus on their studies if they're so intensely focused and emotionally invested in their extracurricular activities. You're like, God, these kids like have crazy lives balancing this shit, man. Um, yeah, so this is also... So he, like, because his mom is gone all the time, He's doing everything um, like he is doing all the laundry, all the cooking, all the cleaning, taking care of everything. So mom can like come home and flop and get up and go to work. But she's not presented as irresponsible. Like if anything, she's presented as like um, someone who is still protective of Maki as if he was a little kid. Like she says things to her, she says things to his friends when he has friends over for dinner. Like, um, come play anytime, you know. And like, I, I hope you, Maki, you thanks for getting along with everyone. And he's like, Mom, we're not in preschool anymore. Like, you know, clearly she's not. Um, she he's still a little kid in her mind. I don't know. So I mean, maybe she has kind of defects as a parent, but they're not. Um, she's a, she seems like a very good mom in a really hard situation. Mm. Um, that was a coworker of his mom's. Okay, that's cool. Okay, I was wondering because they both had dark hair, and um, you know, he's like getting him beers and stuff. So it's like, yeah. Um, well, th- well, this makes sense. Oh, maybe they'll <laughs> hook up. Maybe maybe they'll hook up, uh, and he'll have a dad in his life again. Um, oh, 
but but I and I haven't even talked about the captain. Like the captain, like has a real fucked up family dynamic. In some like his brother, his older brother, is so nice. Like he's super nice, hmm. and he he used to be captain of the soft tennis club when they were good. Um, and the mom, I don't know if it's because they have different dads, they haven't established it, but the mom loves the older brother. She does not like the captain. Like, she's basically like, oh no, older brother, you're going to work? And dad's on a business trip. That means I'll be home alone with him. That boy. You know what I mean? Like, she's always criticizing him. Like, always, like, very, like, emotionally abusive. And, like, just... And not in an over-the-top way where, like, every time he's in the door you hear, but there are just enough scenes where it's like, God damn it. Like, this poor kid. Like, one time, you know, the one time the captain left practice early because he was so mad at everyone, his mom's like, wait a minute, you left club? What's the matter with you? Why don't you try hard and be like your brother? And he's just like, I'm trying my hardest. You know, as as someone who's dealt a lot in his life with people who just, no matter how many times you tell them, this is how you do this. It's pretty simple. Can you follow? And they go, yeah, we can follow that. And then they completely and utterly fail at it. I sympathize. I really do. Some people, like, as much as I hate to say this, some people are just a lost fucking cause. Mm. So, if mm-hmm. you know, if you've had a bad day where you've just dealt with people, like, constantly giving you shit for stuff they should really know, I understand that. If anything, maybe it's a good thing he's learning that at such a young age. Unfortunate though it may be. <sighs> yeah. And Dana brings up in chat, I was trying to decide whether or not to talk about this because in episode three, we found out that, uh, so here's why this kid who beat up the the, ra- the bullies with the racket, here is why he doesn't have uh, parents in his life right now. Because when he was a little baby... He was crying, and the mom, either because she, like, hated the baby, or it's, what is the excuse the other boy said? Because she was out of it and dazed, and she didn't know what she was doing. Um, She took a little coffee pot of boiling water and poured it on the back of this crying baby. And it doesn't really, it doesn't show this, by the way. It's very much like, um, it goes all quiet, and you see the water tilt, and then it cuts to a shot of the stuffed animals. And the crying baby. You know, um, um, if I may intervene here and just point something out, like, I've not seen Stars Align, folks. Uh, I really should have, because people have been recommending it to me as well, and I've just not got around to it. It's hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, I, oof, I don't know if I've got enough room. Especially though, like, if you do it... Most... If you do it in a concentrated dose like I oh, did. Like, yeah. Like, it was one of those things where, where I watched a couple episodes, and then I was like, okay, this mm. might be all I can handle. But it's so good that I had to watch another one. You know what I mean? Like it's one. It's like it's real. It's just really well made. Like the character designs are great, the music is great, uh, the the seiyuu are really good. It's well um, paced. Like the dialogue and the story is so good. Um, but man, sometimes they just hit you, and that's the one instance where I was like, with the whole water thing, it's like, oh my god, like yeah. this might be even a little over the top. Like even for a yeah. show like this, like that's. I mean, not to say that that shit doesn't really happen, but like. 
God damn, like they're just laying it on really strong and thick and You know, this will funnily enough tie into the next thing else I'll be talking about. But I wanna talk very briefly just to relate to what you said there about the way that's depicted. I wanna bring up my current, like, you know, favorite uh anime child show, uh, which is Maru Penguin Drum. Because yeah. I always I will never forget this for so long as I live, because it nearly made me throw up. I remember getting to um, the scene in Mara Penguin Drum in which Yuri and her sculptor father, he decides to use the chisel, but not on a sculpture. You can infer from that as you will. Mm-hmm. And it never actually showed um, him hitting her with that. Right. We only heard the noise of it as it cut away to other things, the statues that were in, the, in the workshop. And my reaction to that was so visceral even though i didn't see any of it firsthand my head my brain filled it in it conjured up the image of what that must have looked like particularly with the noise i uh, it really really made me feel sick thinking about it and so thinking of what you did there like uh, from a creative standpoint that to me seems like you know uh, a good thing to do like rather than show it firsthand because mm-hmm. sometimes it's the most horrifying thing in the world what your brain conjures up rather than what's objectively on screen. Yeah, no, and it, it could be one of those things that it's like, um, like for television is a constraint. Like some directors would be like, oh, if I could show this, I would because it's the visceral. Like I want to, but they can't do it. And that, mm-hmm. that kind of constraint often ends up actually helping art. You um, a lot of believe times. me, I will be bringing that up when I get to the next thing because that was an instance where their constraint was not utilized, mm-hmm. and it <laughs> was pretty, pretty fucking gross in not a way that I felt comfortable watching. So but I think we'll the oh sorry the the last couple of um character types I want to get to that I think are are cool that are in the show. Of course, um one of the boys uh who at the beginning does not have anything to do with the tennis club. Uh, is gay, and he um, has a crush on the captain. Um, and he's always kind of uh, around the captain and there and, like, following around he and Maki. Um, and all of a sudden, Maki turns around and is like, hey, you like him, don't you? And he's like, no, 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 I wouldn't. And he's like, no, 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 it's good. It's good. Like, like whoever you want. That's fine. But if you're going to be around us, like, why don't you be our team manager? Like, that way you get to be around us and hang out and we could use one. We don't have anybody to take care of the equipment and on. And that was really nice. Cause again, earlier enter the bullies, they were fucking around with this guy because mm-hmm. he was gay. And they were saying things like, Ooh, don't touch him. You might get the gay on you. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, fuck those idiots. And uh... you know, luckily the captain came to his aid, but like, it's just good that he is there and that, um, he's just such a sweet kid. And that, uh, and he really, because of what Maki did for him, he's like all in Maki's corner, um, Mm. which is really nice. And also they have this really, really interesting uh, otaku girl. Um, She's not quite a hikikomori, you know, because she goes to school and stuff. But like, she's um, sort of like uh, a not quite as socially anxious and awkward version of the character from Watamote. Like, Mm -hmm. she's drawing a lot of, like, fan art and posting it on Twitter. Like, um, the way she dresses is very much like, I'm wearing big baggy clothes, I'm not comfortable with my body. Um, She's very moody, very dark. 
Um, but she's like the neighbor of the main character, and she's kind of sort of for some reason interested in tennis, um, even though it's not a very otaki kind of mm. thing. But um, I don't know if you're watching the right anime, it can be. <laughs> right. But like, uh, but Maki like befriends her and walks to school with her and like, um, you know, is cool with her kind of being part of things and invites her over to dinner. And they have some really nice banter. Like, um, you know, like one day Maki's watching the girls practice because the girls are good and he like wants to try to figure out how to be good, how the team to be good. Because mm-hmm. he ends up really caring about this shit once he's on the team. Well, he's obviously missing out on the, you know, ants that solves all problems in sports. Drugs! Yes, exactly. <laughs> PEDs. Get, get, um, get on them steroids, lad, you know? And, uh, and he's just... Oh, no, you know, no, no, I'll go one bet. He clearly okay. needs to, he clearly needs to, you know, visit a nightclub with his, you know, incredibly evil-sounding, like, you know, long-lost childhood friend. And get possessed by the de- a demon that causes him to no gain a like an increased physique, you know. That's how that <laughs> works. You remember what that what? Remember how that works? I do. You? Oh yes. I mean, hey, it works out. It works out great for you know. Uh, oh god, I've implemented his name now, and that makes me feel bad. Even though Devil May Cry maybe was that good. Uh, Dante. No. No. Virgil. No. No. Uh... What what was the lead character's name in Devil Man Cry Baby again? The kid. Oh, Devil Man Cry. <laughs> Did you actually legitimately think I, I said Devil May Cry? You said Devil May Cry. Uh, Akira. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah I mean, it all Akira. works out great for Akira. Right. Yeah, of all, course. I mean, you know, his whole family got murdered. You know, it was the end of the world. Nero. He did a good. Run. <laughs> he did. A, he did a good run. He he did a good run. You know, in that race. Oh, uh, we all thought you said Devil, <laughs> Devil May Cry. Um. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But there's this great part when when uh maki is watching the girls practice and the otaku girl comes up to him and is like so what you doing and he's like you know <laughs> i'm watching the girls practice and he's she's like kind of shuffles her feet a little bit she's like why is is there one of them that you like and without missing a beat he says go and die <laughs> i loved it so much <laughs> Like he clearly feels comfortable with her. It's really nice. And hell, when you um, got when you got some ice burns going like that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, but I really like podcast. it. Like I'm going to, I'm I'm going to continue it, but I'm not going to watch more than one at a time from now on because mm-hmm. it's heavy, man. It's really really heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. And and these are just kids. It's so, God, that kid that got um, you know water poured on him like like he won't change in front of Maki Hmm. because he doesn't want anybody that doesn't know about it to see the scars and they talk about it at the early on and it kind of and then it goes away and then they bring it back like oh this is why that happened you know Hmm. and uh and God, when he hit the kid with that bully, or sorry, when he hit the bully with the racket, well, he literally picked the bully up. And <laughs> he the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he, when he cracked the racket over, like this is really evil look on his face for a minute. That was just like this kid could, like, you could lose this kid, like, if you don't help him, like, he could, he could go to dark places, and he could become a supervillain armed with you know a tennis racket. <laughs> totally. And Maki was there. Let to me like, let let me deal you an explosive serve. <laughs> yes, yes. And, but but the main character was there to just be like, look, 
If you're going to hit the guy, just use your fists. There's no reason to waste a good racket on this guy's stupid face. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I, I'm nothing but positive on it. Only be warned that it is heavy. You know, it's got LGBT stuff. It's got good class consciousness. Uh, it's got, like, great um, drama. It's got great character interactions and, like, kind of, you know, the kind of light psychology stuff. But, but boy... Definitely content warning for abuse, physical, uh, emotional, verbal. Uh, it's all there in the first three episodes, so uh, be warned. It's really hard for me to watch. Um, so, mm. yes, uh, that is my take on this show. Goodbye. So I suppose the basson passes over to me now. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. This is... I know I'm sounding like I'm about to dread talking about this next one, and I kind of am, but I still really kind of like the film. Film being the key point here. Okay. Well, there's no there's no dancing around the issue here. Let's talk about uh, Fate Stay Night Lost, but Heaven's Feel Lost Butterfly. You know, the thing that sounds like, you know, a line of feminine razors or something like that. Or Heaven's kind of sham- Feel. Yeah. It's, feel. It, it's a shampoo and conditioner set. Clearly. Right, so, before I get into talking about the plot of this episode, episode, uh, well, it's a very long episode. It's, it's the hours. longest episode. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, they really went overboard on this one. Like, no consideration for standards or practices. Uh, before I start talking about the film itself, I'm going to just We're say something. moon, fools. <laughs> they are. I mean, when you're, a, when you're a UFO table and, you know, your primary skills are in tax evasion <laughs> and animation, you know, like, everything else is just, you know, fair game. But I'm going to lay some cards on the table firstly as to regards to what my familiarity with Fate as a franchise is. So I first encountered Fate way back when in 2014 when I watched Fate Zero uh, on Netflix. It was the only Fate prophecy that I had encountered at the time. I really liked Fate Zero. You picked a good one. (laughs) Although I had some issues with certain elements of it and certain things I don't think were properly fleshed out or utilized to their fullest potential. But on the whole, it was a damn fine urban fantasy series. It was pretty good. I I liked it a lot. Uh, then, much later, I watched uh, Unlimited Blade Works, also by UFO Table, which I, again, quite liked. I actually liked it a little more than Fate Zero. It felt more focused to me. Uh, mm. Although there were, again, certain elements of it that I felt kind of squiffy on or felt were a bit daft or stupid like yeah. i mean i mean yeah i mean yeah. i'm very sorry but if you if you want to tell me even in the rules or confines of however it works in fate based on you know how they do things that some random bullshit tweedy little like you know middle school teacher is sufficiently skilled in both martial arts and magic to beat up king arthur then i'm saying i don't buy it for a fucking second i'm sorry no this bullshit. is like um so your last show made me use the phrase poster child as in the poster child of lost potential Kado. The fate is like the poster child of something that is up its own ass. Like it is so <sighs> just convoluted and f- for convolution's sake, sometimes it feels like, um, but th- this is just one of the things that it, you just have to kind of, if, if you give yourself over to it and not stress about all the minor details, Fate can be fun. That's the problem because it's the minor details that hold fate back quite significantly, in my opinion. But I'll get into that. Um, so yeah, I watched the Limited Blade Works. Then I watched um, 
what I call Fate Stay for Dinner, which was the little spin-off show, which was about uh, Shiro cooking for all of her, all of his various extended, like, you know, servant friends and shit. It was a nice little thing, but as was rightly pointed out, you can't put over the backstory of Fate, particularly as it pertains to certain characters wholesale to that, without there being some incredibly uncomfortable implications, which I will be addressing in just a minute. So, I have not seen any of the Fate like Extella, uh, Apocrypha, or any of that stuff. I did see the first Fate Grand Order film, which was fine. Like, I liked the concept of it, but I really recognized it just for what it was, which was just more fan service of people who like FGO. And hey, more power to you if you like that. I'm not judging you for, you know, playing a gacha game or anything like that, as long as you're not you know, I am. spending all your... Okay, fine, you can do that. As long as one of us does, then that way we can, you know... We can cover all our bases. We can defend everyone equally um, by both being committal and non-committal on the issue. Yes, Dana, but- Apocrypha was dumb as well. Listen, you need to watch Apocrypha, Shadon. It is dumb, but in the best way. Like, it is um, big action movie dumb. It is like a, <laughs> just a stupid Hollywood thing, and it's sometimes really cool and great, but um, no, it's real stupid. Uh, but that's why I really like it. Also, you don't really need to know about It's not like bogged down. They mm-hmm. sort of explain the rules to you, I think. Maybe a passing familiarity with the rules would be good, but you have that. So you can watch Apocrypha and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Plus you get to see Astolfo, the best fate thing. The best thing to come out of <laughs> the whole fate. franchise. Fate. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I like the concepts of behind Fate Grand Order, at least the film anyway. Like, you know, hey, we're going to travel to different places in time and the whole world's stitched together weird. It feels, again, like that kind of classic sci-fi concept that I'm really into. Uh... I, otherwise, I'm not really, like, all that into fate, generally speaking, because I recognize, and indeed I can still see certain things that have carried their way through from Fate's Origins as a visual novel, which included all those raunchy sex scenes everyone's so fond of, including certain elements of character design and the what their ultimate intention is. Um, that still exists. A lot of that still is carried over wholesale. So, then comes UFO Table doing films which are based on the heaven's feel route which is the one where sakura is the lead female character as opposed to rin tosuka yes yes um so i watched the first one and i quite liked it there were a lot of nice little directional touches here and there that like for people who aren't in the know about fate you can start seeing how the direction like was hinting at sakura's past without being overt about it like Look at all this montage of like people coming back, like her visiting Shiro's house over and over again, etc., etc. And for people who are familiar with Fate, even as relatively little as I am, I appreciate how the different route changed up certain things. Like events are different. We have like knowledge that was not previously disclosed between characters being disclosed this time around, and it changes their reaction and interactions with each other, which I like. That's why I would watch it as a spin-off of a arguably canonical time i say arguably i don't want to get into a massive nerd fight here over which route is best to bike section which girl please don't fucking devolve into that if you want to have a mosh pit you can damn well do it in your own dms for fuck's sake don't do it in our chat uh anyway just go to a con and like stand up on top of a high surface and be like just have a ubw best route and then like just have a dive in the ground you just have your slap fight with your foam excaliburs or whatever you know you do that elsewhere um so I liked that film, and then more recently I remembered, oh yeah, this one's out, I should probably watch it and see what happens next. And I watched it, and I quite liked it as well. But there's problems with it. Uh, some quite substantial problems. 
I'll start with the good. I'm going to get the good out of the way, firstly. Yes. Um, now, I've seen people in chat say that they don't care for Shiro. And here's the funny thing. Back when I watched Unlimited Blade Works, bearing in mind he is the same character, just different events happen to him, of course. I would have agreed with you. But times change, and I think that for me, like as someone who's seen enough shows now where the protagonists are jaded, cynical shitbags who think, you know, like that, hey, that girl, she mine, she property, I own her. Like that. Like when when they start acting like that, like then I suddenly find characters like Shiro and also mm-hmm. the characters that you and I were discussing in our recent as of yet to be released holiday podcast. Like I find them much more refreshing and enjoyable because they're not arseholes. Yes, Shiro is basically, you know, the how do I put this play? He's the ready salted of, you know, protagonist. He is the vanilla, you know, the tomato ketchup. He ain't no Szechuan sauce or anything like that. So, fair in, like I overrated. Like Szechuan is an overrated sauce, in my opinion. Unless you're a American you Morton fan, in which case it's like you know, might as well be the blood of Christ. I know. Uh, that's, that's which, so dumb. which is pretty fucking stupid. Uh, but anyway, no, I actually quite like him as presented here. Like just because he's not a shithead, um, he does stand up for the other characters. Yeah, he is very plain and all that. But I will take that as opposed to also yes, thank you, Dana. Soy sauce is pretty up there. Uh, I will take him over protagonists and other similar stories that I've seen elsewhere, such as Shield Hero, uh, mainly because he's not a shithead. Now, now, the fight scenes in this film are in fucking incredible. In fact, they're probably a bit too good for their own right. Like, you know, when you see, like, wow. the crazy fucking Saber versus, well, Saber Alta versus Berserker fight. Like, that to me was where all the tax evasion money went. Right. Like that, yes. That's where that's where everything that was meant to be improving, you know, Japan's infrastructure and all that shit. Uh, that's where that all disappeared to, and it looks incredible. Like UFO Table. If you've been watching Demon Slayer recently, you know that they're they're like real like field at length. Their field expertise is in doing uh, action scenes, and they look fantastic. They really give them like this bombastic energy where you feel like. You feel the force of all the impacts and all the explosions and all that. Like it's conveyed really well, but they do have moments in the sh- in the show. I keep saying show because I'm so in- habitually ingrained into it. Uh, they do have bits in the film uh, where they let things take a little bit of a backseat and actually let some direction go through. Like there's a scene in which Shiro and Sakura are walking past Rin and Archer. Uh, Archer, spoiler alert! If you hadn't already figured this out, uh, Shiro is like. Archer is Shiro from the future. Which, by the way, you might not believe me, but I called that in episode two of Unlimited Blade Works. Although I think that was possibly because one of Shiro's classmates comes up and says, hey, Shiro, I didn't realize you were like, you know, the best archer in the club. You've been doing this for a very long time. How did you get so good at archery? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> like, I was like, he's fucking archer from the future. The Grail don't yeah, give no I, shits. Man. The Grail is Trixie. The Grail doesn't care about your rules. Trixie. It'll do what damn, what damn well please. Uh, you know? Yeah, I haven't played that route. So, in the only one I've played is the first one, the the Fate route, and um, he's not even in the archery club in that one, so I didn't know that. Wow. So, yeah. You have no idea? No. I mean, I've heard, I've heard this, but no, I've oh, heard. Oh, thank God! The, thank God! Right, I, I've heard the, um, you know, him being Archer or whatever before, but I, uh, I didn't know he was in the club. I didn't know that much had changed. 
from mm-hmm. the beginning of the story. All right, well, I've dodged that bullet. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, they're walking along a road, uh, facing each other, of course, um, and you get this shot that's overhead. So you've got, like, say, Shiro and Sakura on this side here, and then you've got up here, Archer and Rin there. So Shiro and Sakura walking up here, and you've got, of course, the road marking down the middle. And it's meant to be a visual metaphor for diverging paths, because if Shiro, of course, you know, continues on this path, he will never become Archer, and Archer indeed points out to him in a kind of circuitous way. Uh, and I really, really appreciate that. Like, you know, it helped build on the idea that he was diverging from the previously established canon. So that was some good stuff. Like, they had it had some good moments there, and like, certain mo- tense moments later on where, spoilers again, uh, Shiro thinks he might very well have to kill Sakura. Like, they're very framed from a distance where he looks very small, because he, you know, how the fuck do you deal with a decision like that, where you kill the woman of, of your dreams? It's all to save the world. Whoops. Yikes. Um, now, let's get to the heavy stuff. So, content warning for awful, awful shit that people should never have written. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this. So just even speaking out loud makes me think, what the fuck? Like, okay. So, backstory. Uh, Sakura is the youngest daughter of the Tosaka family. She's Rin's sister. But you might know she is adopted by the Maso family. The Maso family are run by a man who looks like a dried up camel's testicle. Yeah. <laughs> right. And <laughs> no, he is. He is a camel's testicle. And he, he has the personality of one as well. You know, left out in the sun too long. Uh, I don't remember his name, but fuck it. I'll just who call cares? him. Who cares? He's, he, he, he's like, you look at him. He, he just looks evil. He looks fucking evil. He likes one. He looks like one of the like the uh, children from Akira, like the psychic ones, just oh. not green. <laughs> you know I'm right. You You're know right. I'm right. I do. Um, so he adopts her. Uh, by the way, I need to point this out because this still bothers me to this day. In Fate Zero, it's revealed by Tokiomi, Rin's father, uh, that oh yeah, the reason that she got adopted. Uh, is because only what mage families can only pass on their like collective knowledge and legacy to one child. To which my response was, "Oh, really, Tokiomi? Did you ever hear of Jurex? Rip for a pleasure, extra safe. You know, you're a fucking magician here. You know, can you not just nip down mages to the local use, store and go get don't use protection. and go get like you know, hey, protection isn't just limited to warning spells. You useless piece of shit. You know, how about some family planning, dickhead?" So yeah, and then of course he decides to give him, you know, give her up for adoption to another mage family run by a man who literally <sighs> he looks like a fucking like something I see in a tool video. Just ugh. God damn it. <laughs> true, so though. so what does uh El Damaso decide to do with Sakura once she's Are the adopted? fucking bugs in this movie? Yes. God damn it, I hate that. Yes. This is the thing. God. He- Oh, he, feed, he feeds her to the pit of worms which devour people's life force. Classic. Oh, by the way, you get to see that uh, in great detail in this film as well. Yes. Now, they don't have to hold that. Oh. No, that's that's something quite notable about these is that there are, of course, you know, being films, they don't have to sell for the same standards. I mean, at the end of Unlimited Blade Works, what was clearly meant to be a sex scene between uh, Shiro and Rin was replaced with something that 
I really do think was animated while they were trippy balls on like having gone glue. Uh, when really they should have just, in my opinion, gone for a tasteful fade to black. But whatever. So, Sakura is basically a victim of abuse. but And funnily enough, also from her older adopted brother, who it is very clearly... Mm. No, really? it is. It, he he rapes her. He has raped her. Oh, that's Simple kid. as that. Yeah. No, okay. yeah. yeah. That's Shinji. Yeah. Thanks, right. Shinji. So, yeah, that's a lot of heavy shit that's happened to her throughout her life. And here's the thing, right? Here's a bit thing. much. <laughs> it, here's the thing. I have, I have a couple of points to make about this and how this is handled. Uh, because a lot of it is very iffy. So I'll start with this. First off, doing stories about child abuse or child rape or anything like that, I'm not against you doing them in principle. Because much like all the other things I've discussed in the past, like with S.H.I.E.L.D. here, for example, doing stories about slavery or genocide or all sorts of horrible evil shit that happens. If we don't tell stories about that kind of stuff, we just ignore them and put them under the rug. We do no one a service mm -hmm. by doing this. I mean, I would argue that Fate as a franchise is directed at, well, not necessarily people like me, strictly speaking, but rather, you know, your 16 to 17 year old, you know, male audience who have a lot of disposable income for this kind of gacha shit, and, you know, are otaku. I think that's pretty clear cut. But if there's anything I've learned about from reading people who are interested in Fate Granddaughter in particular, is that there is a female following on there. And why is this relevant? I can extrapolate from that. It's not unreasonable for me to say that if, you know, you're a person who themselves has suffered from abuse as a child, uh, that you, similar with Stars Align, I should point out, you might feel a little seen by this, you know? Even if it is a little fantastical to think that there would be someone out there like Shiro who would save you from this awful thing that's happened to you, then, you know, that's still a good thing. Like, people can take whatever comfort they want. So telling a story like this on its own is not a bad thing. No story is inherently inviolate. The problem you always run into is that the scope for what you can do with it before you cross the bounds of tastes, morals, and all that, and what's commonly accepted... Uh, narrows depending on what you're talking about. Like, if you're just doing a football story, you can tell a lot of different things with a football story. But if you're doing a football story which involves child abuse and it goes part of the players, then things narrow. If you follow my meaning, like, you know, things get more mm -hmm. difficult for you to work with. So, with that said, there are two threads that run through the Sakura's backstory, both of which, in my opinion, are not executed well. And in fact, because they both exist simultaneously, Kind of make each other redundant, but they're both very squicky. Firstly, let's talk about the worm shit so I can get that out of the way and move on to something else, because I really don't want to talk about this stuff for very long. Why this wasn't jettisoned from the original visual novel, I have no fucking clue. Because all of this stuff that is done by Elder Mato Sakura with the worms and all that fucking crap, uh, that Terrible. is strictly, you know, the invention of the franchise. It's a diegetic thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of diegetic things... Just because you've written it and it makes sense in universe doesn't make it acceptable because of that. If you're like, I think the idea that they're trying to get across is that despite all of this stuff, then the, the worm's literally devouring her life force, that Sakura, based, I mean, look at her name, is very full of life still. Okay, fair enough. Is there no other way you could have done that without this awful, like, you know, thing that plays to anime's worst, like, you know, stereotypes? Is there any way you could have possibly done that at all? And maybe when you're adapting the film, 
you know, from the original serial, maybe you could have left that behind? Now, I'm going to come to that in a moment, Sophie, because this will tie into something else I want to talk about with regards to Sakura. Uh, secondly, with regards to Shinji and that. Now, like, Shinji having sexually abused on Peter simultaneously, again, not necessarily against the story in principle. But where I have a problem with it is that it's kind of inescapable to me to pass fate as it is without recognizing it the way it's been engineered to appeal to people like, hey, look who's the best girl and all that. And when you've got a girl amongst that trio, which is Rin, Saber, and Sakura, uh, who has been such a victim of such abuse, to then have her be an object, a fetish object, like, you know, as they as she is, like for people mm -hmm. like interested in wife who's not. No, uh, that doesn't that doesn't gel with me. Like I I like I understand what you're going for here, story, but I can't again divorce it from your intent here with her as a character, because there are scenes in this which, like for example, when after Sakura sees Shiro leave one time, she falls to the floor and she's in pain. Why is she in pain? Not entirely certain. Might be due to the ongoing wasting illness she's got from the worms and shit. I don't know. But the way it's framed, particularly with her hand over a crotch and one on her one of her breasts, like. It looks to me like it's like a very, very exploitative fan service scene, and indeed certain people read it that way, uh, which I'm going to come to more of this in a minute. So, I, I really, really don't get a lot of the reason for this stuff being here when ostensibly it originated as a spank vehicle, as uh, Dana says. If it weren't a spank vehicle, I'd probably be more understanding of it, but it feels to me like it's kind of very, very jarring to have all this awful shit happen. But hey, she'd make a great waifu, right, boys? You know? The, the, it leaves a bit of a sour taste thinking about it, if I'm quite honest. Now, if I'm going down very hard on this film, I am. But I'm going to say that, like, I actually think that outside of all that stuff, the plot of her, like, hooking up with Shiro and, like, you know, mm -hmm. him looking after and caring for her, I actually really enjoyed that. There was a lot of really sweet stuff between the pair of them. And of course, there's the, you know, scene that everyone knows about, the one where they bone. Now, here's the thing. I, again, simply have no issue... <laughs> I, again, simply have no issue with sex scenes being in, in stuff as long as they serve a purpose. Like, if it's, I say, if it's hentai, then, well, there you go. But if you do it otherwise, like, as it was in this one, I was okay with it because it, to me, just felt like someone seeking comfort in the eyes of others. And, you know, again... I can read it like in the way that if that never happened between them, I'm not saying it necessarily has to, but you could read it such that, well, you know, people who are survivors of abuse will never find intimacy again. You could read that lesson through if it weren't there. Now, you're free to disagree with me on that. It's a very charged thing, this, to try and unravel it as I'm trying to do. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm right or, you know, correct on any of this. Uh, but I thought the scene was very tastefully done. Uh, it was only brief. And it was really more focused about them two connecting more than any sort of titillation necessarily. Although there was one bit that was more expressly for that purpose. Uh, so, but that being said though, like I've seen people comment on Twitter about this film where they didn't feel comfortable watching the theater, not because mm. they were uncomfortable with it, because they were uncomfortable with the fact they knew people would be going there to watch it expressly for the fact that Sakura was getting railed, so to speak. And, you know, they would find that enjoyable or titillating that way, as opposed to what it should be treated as, which is just an intimate moment between two characters. 
So when, you know, people have that reaction and when people in Downsleep are going to see it, does that not feel like the message is a bit muddied here? I think so. Probably, yeah. 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 That's the real issue I have. Like, I don't think that Fate as it exists right now has really escaped its origins as just a best girl simulator. Uh, even though it really wants to tell a story about someone who has suffered serious abuse. And when it's hitting those notes about that through Shiro and Sakura's interactions, it's really, really good. Yeah, I think Mel- the Best Girl the- Simulator is short-selling it. Like, at least yeah. the visual novel um, and yeah, some of the I mean, anime. I mean, I've played a visual, some visual novels, only one or two, mind you, where they are expressly about the Best Girl Simulator. And you get, like, situations where you can romance multiple at once and there's no, like, consequences to that whatsoever. And some of them are really fucking stupid. But like with Grisaia, my understanding of fate is that all that stuff comes at such a later point in the story that if your express interest is getting into that for titillation's sake, then, well, like I've said before, why not shortcut it? Why not skip to the good stuff? Why not do well, something because, else? Because people, some people, that's not how they are wired in terms of uh, well, no, sexual no. satisfaction. They need... Story, character, and story and, and all that stuff to yeah. feel connected to those other parts. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I'm not going to preclude that. That's not a possibility, but I think. I mean, obviously, lot- like it's it's so it's made so much money that like clearly there are a lot of people that you know what I mean. They're willing to put up with twenty <laughs> hours of uh, reading for the other thing i mean not but i say can, that can, like can, can, that's why can, they bother but like can you can you imagine a porno mag which was just entirely like you know news like journal articles on medicine or some shit like that and then the last two pages are the spank material and if you open up to it first before having read the rest of it, it just sets on fire i know wow. i'm i joke i joke um <laughs> and i like to say there's a lot to unpack from this and I'm not going to pretend that I know best about this kind of stuff. I still really liked the film overall. Like, it had great action. Uh, the character stuff was good uh, when it was just strictly Sakura and Shiro. I thought, like, you know, that it was well-directed, very well-animated. Um, even the sex scene was tastefully done. Um, but I do think that the franchise is really struggling to, like, shed its, like, nastier elements. Like, things that don't make any sense either from a storytelling perspective or just being there for the sake of the law. I mean, the other reason the worm the whole worm shit exists is because Sakura is losing control of her powers and, like, you know, she's corrupting the world, as it were, which is mm. how Saber Alta comes to be. But the thing is, in order to get to that point, because this is magic, you can write anything to make that happen. It doesn't need to be the way it is. Like, if you wanted to go so far as simply say that she touched some evil magic rock and it possessed her, there you go. Simple as that. It doesn't need to be anything like it is at the moment, but unfortunately we get what we get, which is mm-hmm. Satan's worm ball pit of, you know, <laughs> horrific child abuse. Great, thanks for that. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big shit. mess. I mean, I think even people that like it would have to admit, like, but that's the thing that Every, I find... It's a mess. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I find strange, though, is that there doesn't seem to be any self-awareness on the part of people adapting it to not include the stuff that doesn't help it. I mean, I defy anyone to argue with me that they should have kept the worm shit in for authenticity's sake. That's a hill that, if you want to die on, I will watch you do it. Good fucking <laughs> luck with that one. Because I can't fathom any reasonable argument one can make for it. Like, 
even if you want to defend what's well, necessary for it, it's absolutely like, no it isn't you can write any fucking way you want mm-hmm. yeah but yeah um i'll it's leave just off there to discussion. be yucky sorry yeah <laughs> i'll add one other thing as well which is that yeah we get saber alter in this and of course like you know that's really the uh all right how do we get more mileage out of this character <laughs> how do, how right like how do I, yeah let's 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 turn her into a goth how do we Why like not? yeah like give her uh, a reason to be dressed up in this different outfit. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. By the way, Saber Alter is supremely overpowered. Like in yeah. in in UBW, like Saber versus Berserker is like a pretty even matchup. Uh, but bear in mind, Berserker mm-hmm. in uh, UBW like has extra lives. You know, putting all those quarters in before you know got summoned <laughs> and all that. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, but Saber Alter just goes through him like a hot knife through butter. Oh, that's amazing! Um, I'd yeah. like to see that after. Listen, it'd be cathartic because. He was such a pain in the ass in the fate route, like just although really, really chuckle, powerful. What made me chuckle? Uh, the, I'll finish this off on two funny notes because I don't want to spend too much time, like you know, getting like or leaving off rather on the nasty stuff I've had to discuss. Uh, first off, uh, part of like this whole like Sakura corrupting the world thing is pink slime flowing across, and I was like, oh, it's Ghostbusters too. It turns people evil if you touch it. Mm-hmm. It literally is Ghostbusters too. Are we gonna have like Ray Stance and Venkman and all that? You know, uh, like fight off all of the heroic spirits with proton packs. <laughs> Are you telling me that can't happen? Make it happen, fanfic writers. Make it happen. Um, and the second thing I'll mention is that so Shiro and uh, Rin are like watching this fight between Saber Alter and Berserker, and Shiro does not recognize who Saber is until her mask is shattered in the fight i'm like really okay <laughs> visual visual experiment doc right here's my mobile phone here's my mobile phone can you tell who no, i am who is that here's this, this this writer i don't know who they are can you tell who i am listen ask the employees of the daily planet <laughs> oh the clock Ke- all right yeah okay you know what right i i forgot about that if clark kent can get away with that shit <laughs> then fair enough. You got me. You got me. <laughs> Neither one uh, of them should be able to get away with it. No, they really shouldn't. Um, <coughs> but <clears throat> Well, that's actually, Sophie's <clears throat> correct. There are enough, the Saber face is actually a term now in relevance, yes. uh, with relevance yes. to the actual franchise. So I'll leave off just by saying that overall, I like the film a lot, but I accept that it has some very significant problems. And I really wish that people, like, the people working on it were more willing to exercise some adaptational flexibility and creativity in recognizing, hey, you know what? Maybe this stuff shouldn't be in here and we can do this differently. Um, but it'll be what it'll be, I guess. Um, I just hope, you know, the UFO table make enough money back to finally pay off those tax bills. I mean, man, can you, ima- can you imagine what Japan's version of the IRS is going to do to the Fate franchise if they get a hold of it? <laughs> I mean... I can't. I can't even begin to imagine what that would what that would entail, Shadon. Please help me help me envision it. <laughs> what would well, it go you, down? You, well, you know they do a state sponsored gacha where if you land <laughs> one of the servants, you get a tax break. Would some IRS person's office like just become littered with like fate merch and like wall scrolls and shit after sacking the studio? <laughs> Probably, like re- but it, repoing everything. Probably, but if you ever called them out on it or point out to them, they wouldn't acknowledge it was there. 
<laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? There's like all these, you know, uh, shoot and doji figures here. I don't know what this character is. I just no. have them here. Yep. The <laughs> same. All right. Anyway, that leaves behind a uh, fate stain, night heaven's feel, lost butterfly. You know, caterpillar, boogie loo, boogadoo, blah 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 blah. Doc, you getting aroused? Such that was necessary. Um, uh, I, 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 I <laughs> carry on, carry on. Over to you. Okay, so now we're going to talk about something totally different. That is not about anything heavy. It's just oh, a freaking good time and hilarious and special. And you know, I've talked about recently before, like how over the top shit, like really does it for me in anime. And for a long time. That was like that kind of what the fuck quotient, like really helped drive what I was interested in and what I liked. And um, Shin Cooking Master Boy, true <laughs> Cooking Master Boy, is this show this season for me. Um, so I don't know if this was adapted from a manga, but I do know that there was another Cooking Master Boy anime that's really long um, that was from the last decade. And so this show is all about a kid uh, called Mao. This is set in China, by the way, um, Mm. who is like, he has become the youngest. This is not food wars. No, this is um, cooking master boy, a different thing. Um, and think of it like food wars, but without the uh, without all the gross. Well, I say gross. I've never seen it, but from what I hear, it's like there's a ton of fan service in that show. But this has none of that. And so it I has... got some. I got some very sexual courgettes in it. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean <clears throat> asparagus. Everyone knows that asparagus is the most sensual of foods. Yeah, it's is true. That, is that it hasn't. Wars? It hasn't made the appearance yet. But um. Oh, uh, oh we're talking about food wars. Per- possibly food wars. Um, but yes, Mao is the super chef. He's the youngest kid to ever be bestowed the like honored rank of super chef. And Mm -hmm. he hides it. It's like, he's been given like a cool, like patch on his arm. It's like a dragon with like a frying pan or something. And, but he keeps a thing tied over it. So in his travels, no one will know. And they'll treat him as an ordinary person. And so the best way to like describe this Shadon is like, if you haven't seen stuff like Food Wars or Toriko and kind of know what the deal is with this kind of shonen cooking thing, basically it's like a samurai show or a a battle show or a kung fu movie, but take all the fighting and ninja techniques and everything out and replace it with <laughs> cooking. Like nice. people, like the kitchen is a battlefield. The kitchen is a battlefield, okay? And like so Does someone scream out the word saute. Uh kind of that happens. Like <laughs> there's a guy who has like who's the dim sum master who oh has an incredible staff and like he like twirls it over his head and then slams it onto all the dough to roll it out, and it's like the thinnest rolls of dough. Uh, that you could imagine. And like he like unclasps it to where there are two and then he begins to beat like grind up pork and he's like they're like, Oh my god, look at the way he like grinds the pork. It's incredible. And uh 
yeah, like the seriousness with which everyone takes this, like, is amazing. Like, there, you'll see like flashbacks, you know, and like, yeah, people that are like cooks, they're like these huge buff dudes, but with like, you know, cooking stuff on, and they're just like, Mao, are you ready to show your true strength? You know. <laughs> Can I can I can I just say like in a lot of like shows like where they are over the top or like the concept is patently absurd, Mm -hmm. playing them straight is sometimes the best move one can make. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean, I think for example of uh, perennial joke of the butt. I suppose you all call it Kjo. We all remember that, don't we? Uh, Yes. Uh, Which is which is a show that like you might think, given everything I've just said about like for example. you know, Fate, Stay Night, or all the other stuff I've railed on with fan associates, you might think so, oh god, Shadam's gonna like, you know, go fucking puritanical on this shit, you know. He's gonna be complaining that we aren't thinking of the children and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would be wrong, uh, because my rule on that kind of stuff has always been, hey, you know what, it is what it is. Like, it isn't trying to pretend to be something it's not. That is literally just fan service, the show. And it's very unashamed of it, and it plays the entire concept of you know, what if a water sport, but where people hit each other with their butts, mm-hmm. you know, completely straight. And it works because of that. So I can see it in your case here with this show, like that, hey, you know what? This is complete nonsense. But if we play it straight, that's what makes it enjoyable. It is. It's so tremendous. And it's like the heart of it is the shonen thing where the kid wants to cook to help people. And like he meets people along the way that are somehow, you know, misfortuned and like, that have like failed at starting a restaurant or they can't cook right or whatever. And like through his, um, his cooking and his like kind spirit and his companions, he like helps them get to a better situation while also impressing everybody else. Hmm. So like the first episode is a great example of that. Like it's, it's uh, Mao and his partner and his sort of love interest who is studying cooking on her own. It's called uh, Cooking, or on Crunchyroll, it's True Cooking Master Boy. Shin Cooking Master Boy. Um, but he's, uh, they're, they're traveling and they happen upon this town. And they end up staying at a place where um, this, uh, it, it, it's this lady and she's like, ah, oh, I was going to have this great restaurant with my brother. He had this great dream, um, but he failed because... Like, he had... I posted pictures of this in the Discord. Like, he had these chickens. He was... The town is very famous for its... They have, like, chicken statues in this town. Because they're so famous for their chicken dishes. And they have uh, big, like, chicken cooking tournaments. But (laughs) uh, this family had traveled there, and the brother had died unsuccessful because he was trying, like, these black chickens. Like, he couldn't cook them right. And people had said, like, oh, these are the chickens of misfortune. Like... They the chickens have. Uh... <laughs> Why does that sound like a, a Monty Python concept? It reminds me of the rabbit from um, Holy Grail. <laughs> and it's, it's true. Yes, 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 yes. And um, I mean, can you imagine John Cleese just saying like, "These are the chickens of misfortune." I can. Yes, I can. You totally can. So like, she is kind of destitute. And is sort of giving up on her brother. But she's kept all the chickens and she keeps tending to them because somewhere deep in her heart she believes in him, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and they see that. And uh, Mal was like, all right, I'm going to enter the cooking contest, the chicken tournament. 
and I'm going to use the black chickens. I'm going to show everyone that these are not cursed. And so, like, he goes there and cooks this incredible chicken. And, like, like I said, super serious tournament. Like, the judges are very much, like, big dudes in samurai armor. And, like, everyone's <laughs> taking it so seriously. And they, like, taste the dishes. And they're like, mmm, like, this is good chicken to everyone else. But then when they taste Mao's, um, like... These really buff, like, deep voice, serious guys, they're just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And their facial expressions, like, they're, they're, like, crying. And, like, you know how in Kaiji they would show, like, the mental states, but, like, they would show the images of it. It'd be, like, <laughs> they'll have, like, the person, like, falling into a fireball or, like, soaring through space, like, while they, like, talk about how good the chicken is. Like, the surface is the most tender incredible thing I've ever put in my mouth and like the flavor is a myriad from all the corners of the world like the ingredients and like it's when like they listen to a Shakespeare soliloquy yes. isn't it and like when they cut the chicken open like light pours out <laughs> of the incision <laughs> it's so good it's like I mean that's a bit oh. much for an advert for Popeyes but here we are I guess oh, I mean man. people have lost their shit about the sub rolls from there if I remember correctly but hey there we God. go uh, it is so extremely my shit and uh i've only got to watch two episodes and the second episode was about the dim sum master and uh it's very fun because like basically he cooks the best dumpling that you could ever cook and like he's challenged mal and they're having basically like a battle but they're just cooking and the reason mal beats him is because he gets super conceptual like um <laughs> and doesn't think of a dumpling as a dumpling but makes this gigantic thing called like the big bang dumpling or whatever <laughs> where like it's huge and like all parts of the pig are yeah, in you, it. Yeah, you 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 need to re- you need to remember like, you know, at the end of the day it needs to be something people can eat. Just a thought. And like like when the guys twirling the staff overhead to like you know, flatten out like roll the dough for the dumpling. Like like it kicks up a huge breeze, <laughs> like a hurricane force of wind, <laughs> and people in the kitchen are having to take over. <laughs> it's oh my so God. Good. <laughs> like Mao is like rolling the dough for the huge Big Bang dumpling or whatever, and he's like twirling it overhead like his pizza, and he's like, "I can't control it. Please clear a table." <laughs> what? And then the then the universe just collapses. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, we're not talking about Beastars, Amy. Sorry, I'm talking about well, that, that's True coming Cooking soon, Master though. Boy. Yep, that's coming, yep, that's yep. coming soon. Yeah, it's coming coming soon. But yeah, I just really wanted to put everyone onto the show because it's such a pleasant surprise. And there's a lot of really heavy shit that people are watching and talking about that are worth watching and talking about. Um, but holy sometimes shit. Sometimes you need something lighter. It you is. Know, sometimes you need something goofy. So absurd. Um, but it has like a really good... Heart. Like, there's actually kind of these little, like, character beats, um, you know, that take a backseat to the fun and the action and the silliness, but, like, they're there. Like, um, the, the little guy who runs errands, like, he never stops believing in Mal, even when everyone else does, like, and that's rewarded. Um, the, the main uh, lady who's the owner of the kitchen that Mal works in, the, the restaurant, rather, um... Like, she has a thing for him, and, like, she kind of goes through some ups and downs in terms of, like, how she's, like, she's like, oh, I didn't really believe in him with all my heart, 
when he was losing to the Dumplin' Master, the Dim Sum Master, like, ah, you know, this is really weighing on me. And uh, next episode, they're clearly going to get, like, kidnapped by, like, evil cooking ninjas. You see in the preview, there's, like, <laughs> it's, it. oh, my gosh, I'm so ready. Like, I'm going to go watch more immediately when we finish this. Amazing. Uh, just to answer your question, Amy, uh, this is a kind of intermission episode. Uh, it's the, you know, the unlabeled uh, part of this uh, particular stream of thought series we're doing on Vinland Saga. Mm-hmm. Because there is no, there was no Vinland Saga episode yesterday nope. owing to sports, you know. Fucking sports, ruining everything as always. Fucking mm-hmm. jocks, you know. Am I right? Making di- <laughs> life difficult for us nerds. Jocks, man. Shit. So we're kind of talking about uh, other shows we've been watching and other stuff we've been watching in the interim, uh, just so we can get them out there. Because obviously, you know, as much as we like discussing Vinland Saga and to a lesser extent, Kabuchiko Sherlock, uh, we do want to talk about, you know, other stuff that people might be interested in. Mm-hmm. So with all that said, let's talk about Beastars. Um, so let me just impress on you my initial like thoughts when I heard about this show. Um, I knew that it was like a uh, a big deal. Like I heard, for example, from you know James Beckett that it was a uh, really really impressive manga series. Mm-hmm. I the the buzz about it had been nothing but positive, but I otherwise knew very little about it. I knew that, of course, like it featured anthropomorphized uh, animals. That was kind of it. And then I found out that it was being adapted by Studio Orange, who was Studio Orange, if you might ask. They're the people who are collectively embarrassing the rest of the anime <laughs> industry of how good their CG is. Because they're the people who made one of my favorite anime of all time, Land of the Lustrous. Uh, and they've done work, of course, and other stuff previously, such as doing a lot of CG work in, for example, I believe, Macross Frontier. I think they did a bit in that. Yeah, uh, his, and yeah. Um, they did in, um, what was the show? Oh, Majestic Prince. It was a sort mm-hmm. of under-the-radar mecha show from early this decade that I liked, and mm-hmm. they did all the CG. Uh, they did a really good job with the mecha battles there. Yeah, the the thing that I want to impress on you all about Studio Orange is not only is their fidelity and like their skill in doing CG good, like in terms of like make, making the characters fit the material they came from while still existing as CG uh, elements, but their direction and storyboarding is usually pretty phenomenal. Just go mm-hmm. watch episode 10 of Land of the Lustrous, for example, and watch the scenes where uh, Diamond is being pursued by the Lunarian. It's filmed like a horror film with like close-up shaky cam over the shoulder. Like wow. that it's incredible stuff that they've done. So that like, okay, people I know and respect telling me this is a great uh, you know, source material. Mm-hmm. Plus, a studio I really personally respect uh, and admire for the stuff they've done. Like they're working on this. I'm like, hell yeah! I'm gonna watch the ever-loving crap out of this. And then Netflix decides to put a crimper on that because yeah, yet yeah, you'd be correct, Amy. It is indeed the same people. Uh, because if there's one thing that you know hasn't caught up with technology, it's licensing laws. So Netflix uh, currently are only airing Beastars week on week in Japan. It's not even, yeah, it's not even licensing laws. It's just like their sort of commitment to the idea that America enjoys um, binge watching more than the episode on episode each week model. Like they they are like, America loves the content dump. Uh, And it's really a shame because it hurts anime Mm -hmm. over here because the anime discussion 
is less about binge and more about the week on week conversation. Yep. I would agree. Uh, so, but luckily, for- oh, can I just say uh, just one more yeah. thing re Netflix? And that is, at least for us here in America, at least, I mean, this is, I still don't like the, the Netflix thing that happens, the anime jail thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least the turnaround time for Beastars is going to be shorter than most of the stuff that I can remember. Like, um, Kakigurui took forever, but, um, especially season two. But uh, this one, I, Netflix has said, I think on Twitter, that January 2020 it'll be up. So I think right after mm-hmm. it finishes airing, they're going to put it on Netflix, which is like not great still, but, it, but better. Mm-hmm. Better. So I pay for Netflix because I do believe in, you know, paying for the services I want to use. But I'm very sorry to say, uh, Netflix, if you're out there listening to this particular podcast, uh, if you're not going to, you know, provide me uh, with content at the same rate as other regions when I pay for the same service ostensibly, uh, then I'm just going to take it on my own to, you know, get a hold of it. Because piracy is as it has always been. It's a supply problem. It's not a question of people not having the money necessarily, although I'm not going to pretend there are people out there yeah. who can't afford such things, especially mm-hmm. as streaming services start to fragment more and more. Um, but for me, like like it was with Napster way back when in the days before, like, you know, if you were old enough to know remember that that is, like that only existed because there was no adequate service or provision for the content people wanted in the first place. So if you're not going to give me the stuff that I'm paying for, then I'm going to, with a clean conscience, just pirate. I mean, what are you going to do? Stop me, from, you know, threaten me for not paying my bill when I do pay my bill. Yeah. All right. So enough talking about that, though. I went into Beastars with a mild understanding that it was a murder mystery. Uh, what is the premise of Beastars if you're not familiar with it? <clears throat> so <clears throat> it is set in a school, Cherryson School, which is inhabited by herbivores and carnivores. So these are basically anthropomorphized uh, animals of various stripes. You've got your sheep, you've got your zebra, you've got your wolves, you've got your tigers, you've got your lions, giraffes, elephants, etc., 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 etc. Fair enough. Imagine a zoo, but also mixed with a high school, basically. And, you know, there are no enclosures. People can, like, mingle together. And there is a alpaca named Tem. And Tem is murdered by an unknown assailant and actually eaten alive um, in the opening episode. And this kind of shocks everyone because herbivores and carnivores in the world of Beastars get along pretty well. Like, you don't, for example, like, you know, you've got, like, say, your zebras walking down the corridor of the school and you've got your lions walking past. And the lions will just say, hey, how's it going? They won't just suddenly go, ah, like that. They won't, they won't take a bite out of them, you know. Um... So that's the world. But what about the people inside of it? So our lead character is Lugosi, who is... I, I, I don't want to say for certain if it was named after Bill Lugosi, <laughs> but it might actually fit given the fact that the entire show features heavy, like a heavy emphasis on dramatics and theatre. So who can say? Um, but Lugosi is a grey wolf. And he, for the longest time, has been fighting his primal nature, his predatory nature, to cut loose and just hunt and devour as a wolf is wont to do. Um, and one day, or one evening rather, he encounters a white rabbit named Haru and he kind of loses control and injures her, like ca- catches her real close, like holding her like this. 
But then an unknown, the unknown assailant who attacked him appears as well and then leaves. And he manages to regain some semblance of control, but he, you know, is kind of very taken with Haru. And this is all set against the backdrop of the upcoming play uh, that's about Adler the Reaper, uh, which is being, uh, or rather, the star of which is going to be the stag Lewis. Uh, and Lewis has got his own problems uh, with how, you know, people perceive him and what his role is as a herbivore. And so what I originally thought was going to be a murder mystery, and doubtless that will come back later, um, instead actually turns into an incredibly thoughtful meditation on the roles that we play, our true natures, our inner natures, and whether or not they're the right way to conduct ourselves. Like, what part of who we are is acceptable, you know, to show to other people? Um, is it right that we embrace who we should be? Or rather, should we set our own path? Um it's some really, really incredible stuff that's just kind of had me transfixed. It's probably one of the strongest shows I've seen this year thus far. Um, and it's certainly, in my opinion, going to be the best one I'll see in fall. And I have been blown away by how good it is. Like, it's easy to look at it and think, ah, it's the show for furries and all that kind of thing. But it's really, like, I firstly don't have a problem with furries anyway. But secondly, like, it's so much more than what its surface level implies. Mm. And... The, every episode I've been just enraptured by how much you can take away from it so let me talk about Adler for a second so the play that that stars Adler the Reaper he wears a skull on his face but the idea of the Reaper in this of Adler is that he is a um, misunderstood character who just wants to find love now how does that tie in with the characters Lewis is the one playing Adler but he continually makes demands of the carnivores he sees that they need to start acting more like who they are because he himself recognizes there's a herbivore. He can, you know, he has a role to play in which he must be weak. He must be vulnerable. He must be prey, but he doesn't want to be that. He wants to be stronger than that. And so the role of Adler, the reaper that is feared by everyone, allows him to, you know, act out a a role that he, in theory, can never truly play. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a life position he can never truly have. But what then gets even better is that this goes so far that in an incident that happens backstage, Lewis actually gets injured and his leg is like, his ankle's broken. And he refuses treatment because it will take him off the performance. And it gets to the point where it is crippling him. It's like infected and stuff. So eventually, that overwhelms him after the end of a performance and he collapses and he's forced to abdicate the role to one of the other uh, club members for the drama club a tiger named Bill. I wasn't going to say Tony that Tony Tony had already graduated from Cherryton the previous <laughs> right, two years right. ago um, so he went on of course to make a great career in starring in you know breakfast cereal commercials um, but yeah Bill the Tiger Bill takes on the role of Adler but the thing is as a carnivore who can't eat meat because it's made clear in the world building that the carnivores all eat soy-based products. They don't eat... They, <gasps> yeah, they don't soy eat actual... Boys. Soy boys. <laughs> I know. I know. Man, I, you know what? I'm sure some right-wingers could take a reading of this and I'm, like, you know, in that way. I'm just like, please don't. Just kindly fuck off. <clears throat> no, really. Bill the Tiger. His name is Bill. So funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um... He takes on the role of Adler and he finds it empowering 
because he then gets to act on stage like the carnivore he's always meant to be. The role means different things to Lewis and Bill in ways that empower them, but also make them recognize the restraints they're placed on and the expectations they're forced on because of who they are, like, inherently. And it gets to the point where Bill, in his performance as Adler, before he actually goes on stage, he actually takes um, a couple of drops of rabbit blood as a kind of, like, drug, mm. which Lugosi loses his shit about, mm-hmm. bearing in mind he had previously injured Haru. You see how these things tie together here. Uh, and that leads to them, like, going off script. And what I found incredible was that as they go off script and start, like, monologuing each other and accusing each other of all the things that they've done, like, Bill says, I recognize you, that you're a predator too, but you're just hiding your true nature and all that. And the ghost like, saying, that you, your crimes are not forgivable for what you've done, blah, blah, blah. Like, the audience still re- thinks it's a performance. There's, like, layers on layers of, like, performances and performances here where not only are they playing the role of Adler and Lugosi's character in the play, they're playing fake versions of themselves anyway that aren't real relative to their true natures as, like, predatory creatures. And the, the people in the state, like the audience, can't even recognise it for that. It's, this, this, fucking, this fucking anime is so rich like, in all of its themes and ideas and how it takes even, like, the idea of this Adler character and uses it with a different character to portray the same point. I'm utterly blown away by how strong the writing is in this. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and every, I think I found it very relatable as someone, like, the reason I do this podcast is because I don't often get the chance to talk about anime in real life with people. Mm. And when I get it, I relish it. I get to be more like who I want to be. So seeing like these characters struggle with, you know what, like I am a wolf, but I can't like, you know, be a proper wolf in this world because it means I will start murdering and killing people. Even though we also see when, you know, the scene susly shifts when he captures Haru to when he's protecting her with that same embrace, like that some part of like his wolf talents and like the thing, the, the strength that he has is a good thing, particularly of how he takes on Bill, who bear in mind is a fucking tiger. Like, you know, Tiger versus Wolf, who wins? Type in the chat, folks. I'm going with Tiger, because Tigers will fuck you up. Yes, I'm sure. Tigers will fuck you up. But, like, then it gets... In, with Haru as well, like, Haru is a rabbit. What do rabbits do? Uh, breed. <laughs> so, yeah, she sleeps around with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I don't judge on that, as long as you protect yourself in whatever way you can. No, we're not into in the terms... slut-shaming on this podcast. No, not, not in the slightest. Um, whatever way you protect yourself, you can do. But for Haru, like, that's what she does. She feels most in control when she's doing that. Mm-hmm. But that re- uh, results in her getting, you know, ridiculed uh, and bullied by the others who think that she is a slut, as they, as they would put it. Um, even though, you know, she's just embracing her nature. But, you know, she also clearly has more to her than that when Lugosi meets her and sees that she's an avid gardener, that she tends all, like, you mm-hmm. know, the way it's framed, like you've got the ghostly like coming out of the uh, entryway to the garden, and that's just barren brick and stuff. And around Haru, she's framed with all these flowers and like you know grass and all that. It's the fucking direction of this show. Oh my god, I love it. I love it so much. Like I'm, I'm so impressed with every part of it. It's kind of incredible. Um, and then there's also lovely little details as well. So 
as part of the world building, like all of the animals have a, I think it's called a naturalization day. And that involves them like going to habitats that are specifically for them. So like the aquatic, like polar bears, for example, like they have like a lounge made with like an ice uh, sofa or an ice couch, which says it's a bit cold in this year, isn't it? And that, which itself is a good bit of comedy. Uh, and the wolves, like they all congregate under a full moon environment inside like a dome. Uh, and that of itself is very telling because Lugosi, um, he doesn't associate with any of the other wolves even though wolves are inherently pack animals. So that in itself was like very telling there. Although Lugosi's best friend is a dog. Uh, so canines, you know, similar kind of thing going on there. And then there's even more to it than that. Like Lugosi works in the drama club as a backstage lighting operator because he himself has lived backstage most of his life, restraining his urges, restraining his nature. Every single part of this fucking show feels like it's been made to serve a purpose. There's not a wasted second in it. Even when it's just doing something goofy like having the wonderful comedy of the news club where... <laughs> the news club. <laughs> yeah, where the news club is run by a tiny mouse who's yelling of course. at all of the... Of course yeah, a mouse. Who's, who's, yeah. ye uh, who's yelling at all of the huge people. Uh, all the huge animals, including an elephant. And the way this is framed is you first see the mouse like up close in the camera like this. And he's yelling at all of them in the background. And then it cuts away. He's on a tiny mouse-sized table that in turn is on another table just so he can try and be imposing, yelling at the uh, his fellow club members for not getting a proper picture of Lewis. Does um does he have large ears? <clears throat> does he have large ears and wear a visor? Wear a what, sorry? A visor. No, he really should do. Though. <sighs> yes. And I'm still of the opinion that when that when that English dub comes around, that uh, J.K. Simmons should voice the mouse, yes. the mouse journalist, because of course, mm -hmm. Gary pictures of Lewis Parker. <laughs> Gary pictures of Lewis. What do you mean you work totally. on Spider Man? Totally. Get off the Spider Man case. Get get on those. Like, I mean, I'll admit that the murder mystery thing with Tem has kind of fallen by the wayside thus far. I mean, I've complained, for example, uh, in other shows that we've covered where, like, hey, it started off this thing and then it moved elsewhere and now shouldn't that be a big deal? Like in Kabukiko Sherlock, for example. But I'm willing to cut Beastars a lot of slack because everything else that's happening is so fascinating to me. I love every single part of this story and what it's trying to do in saying that, yeah, you know what? There's parts of our inner nature that we shouldn't embrace necessarily, like, you know, predatory nature and stuff like that and our worst urges. But there's also parts that come in that package of, you know, our nature that are worth keeping and using, you know, for the for the good of others. It's not a case of all or nothing here. There's a, there's a you know, there's a grey area to it. And I want to say one final thing as well. I fucking love Lugosi's voice actor. Lugosi's voice actor is... He delivers every single line thus far, with the exception of someone, particularly when he's yelling at Bill, in a very hushed and muted tone. Like, he's got his volume dial inside his mind and his heart mm -hmm. turned down by 50%. For a character who, in theory, should be, ru like, ruling, like, the social strata of this school because of how big and imposing and strong he is, like, he feels, he comes across as very timid, 
and very reserved and very introverted. And it really, really helps sell the mm-hmm. character. I, I've like it's one of the more impressive visual performances. Like it'd be very easy to have like him just be played by the guy who plays Joker in Persona Five, or whatever. And maybe if this turns out to be the case now, then that's me not having done my homework. <laughs> but you know, I, we should look it up. Yeah, maybe I should be making like you know sweeping statements like that without checking. But I was re- I really am impressed with the performance and what it helps bring the character's life with. You know sell them as the quiet creature that they are who really really you know otherwise wants even if he doesn't like or at least like unconsciously wants to be so much louder than he is mm-hmm. this show is just it's just so good it it probably could very well be my anime of the year if it keeps up with the quality and that's good that's high praise considering we have mob psycho 200 this year no. It's punching that high. Ooh. And I have to again go back to Studio Orange for doing all the amazing stuff they do with it. Like the animation is silky smooth. And I think that like for them, working with uh, characters who are not strictly human, yeah, the lustrous looks human, but they were gangly, androgynous people. Um, and then of course we have the characters of Beastars. I, I think that really helps them, you know, like that's when CG's overworldiness, I think, works in its favor because you're not dealing with people who are meant to be interpreted as uh, actual, actual human beings. Same, like, you know, me and you discussed Cardo, for example, and how mm-hmm. stiff that was. <laughs> Sometimes it was pretty bad, yeah. It was yeah. pretty bad, yeah, like the T pose hugs and all that. <laughs> yeah, you remember those. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in forever. <laughs> Yeah, them riding in cars was pretty rough as well. Like, I remember was... one time it showed them get out of the car. I'm like, no, what are you doing? Don't show them get out of the car. It's gonna look terrible, and it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they continue to really knock out the park, and their storyboarding is excellent. In particular, I love the use of negative color when Tem is murdered because he like bursts into the empty theater, mm-hmm. which is completely dark, and so. Rather than maintaining his color and it just simply being like, you know, um, like sh- faded into black, he turns entirely black in the darkness, just his outline remains. But then when the creature that hunts him comes in there, its outline fades away, only leaving the red eyes. Like, it's such a lovely artistic touch. So much of this show, like, again, is just really, really well handled. And I don't mind gushing about it. I... Could not recommend it enough. Um, and on top of that, like I say, when it wants to have its humor, its humor is really on point as well, without being giant. I just hope it does eventually come back to the 10 thing, because that has been put by the wayside and not really considered to this point. But as I say, with everything else that's going on and all the rich things like you know to be extracted from it, to be mined from it, in terms of how you know we portray roles, even when we're not on a stage, and whether that's the right thing for us or not, I'm really, really impressed. Like, I have high standards in a lot of ways. And this is meeting them. Absolutely. Oh, boy. So, oh, man. I have been, of course, like, urged on by people like James, people like uh, Rexton in our Discord, very adamant about watching the show and I've been telling myself that I'm going to be a good boy and wait until 
January to watch it all on Netflix. One of us. One of us. One <laughs> yeah, of us. I know. But now I'm like, you know, I think I might have to take to the high seas for this one. One of us. <laughs> I had to go swashbuckling. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, it really does seem like a, like, that they can get so much mileage thematically out of a premise like this. Like, it's just rich for mining. Like, just because and it can feel like there's enough distance right because animals like Hmm. it's not gonna feel uh like they're really forcing something because we all sort of archetypally um or what am i trying to say we all know kind of animal archetypes and instinctual behavior like it's the animals have kind of different reputations for being certain ways so like you know uh, that all doesn't really need a lot of explaining. You know, it's, it's all kind of ingrained in our brain anyway. And yeah, it just seems so interesting, um, the things that they could do uh, with that. And yeah. you're really selling me hard on it. Um, Lugosi is my spirit animal. Like, I mean, I can relate. I, I've had many times where I've wanted to you know, be more, like, present myself more as I do to you all now, where I get to talk openly about anime and not feel like, you know, there's a stigma or a shame associated with it. Indeed, that's part of why I'm doing it. Um, But I don't. And indeed, there's a part of me that recognizes there is a time and a place for that. Obviously, I'm not going to be going around having every conversation, you know, saying like, hey, do you watch this anime show? I'm not going to do that every single minute of my day. There's a time and a place to have that discussion. I just don't get as many times as I otherwise would like in real life. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, people like talking about shows around me and I'm like keeping my mouth shut because I don't really want to bring all that kind of stuff up, even though I really do want to. So hearing Lugosi talk about that and then talking about his feelings towards yeah. Haru as well, uh, I can relate. I can absolutely relate. It's, it's, I, I feel a connection with that. And I can say no more other than that I really can wholeheartedly and unreservedly recommend this series. Give it a chance. I can guarantee you will find something or or a character that you will connect with in this show. And if you just, you know, let it play out, just appreciate all the stuff that's going on in it, you'll be richly rewarded for it. It's a really, really great watch. Mm -hmm. I I am really, I'm, I think you pushed me to do it. Um, Do it. Don't make me kick you out of the podcast. (laughs) Sophie. Even though you're the even though you're the one who actually ran it, organizing the first place, technically I don't have the Sophie, right. Sophie, is Ryakuma and Kaoru the um, the the like the stop motion one with uh, the bear, um, that was made by the people that made the the one about like the Amazon cats, the Amazon looking cat alien things? Because oh, I wish I could remember the name of that show. God damn it. It was so funny. So funny. Gosh, I love that show about those alien kitties that looked like the Amazon cats. Uh, and I can't think of the name of it. But uh, So, I've, I, yeah, that, that one looks fun. I've started to watch it before, but just hadn't been in the mood for it. So that's one that I've got on my radar also. Um, NB stars. Uh, okay, so um, our stream is getting quite long, so I'll try to be quick. About, um, although I guess some people like really long streams. Um, <laughs> so there's a couple more shows I could get to. Um, 
I don't have a ton to say about uh, each one. And my recommendation, not no, not Kimono Friends. This one is um, oh man, clay looking stop motion. Uh, I'm gonna look it up now. Now you've got me. Let's see. Um, anime Amazon cat. <laughs> that's now that's a search term if I've ever heard one. Not Bananya. What is it? What was it? Gosh. So it came out in 2016 about alien cats. You need to ask Siri for that one. Not Cat Planet Cuties. No, it is not that. Um, shoot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Have you, have you got safe search turned on, Doc? <laughs> Just checking. Kuma and Kauru. Uh, all right. Who? All right. I'm going to get to it this way. Uh, stop motion created by Dwarf Studio in cooperation with Sun X that premiered on Netflix. Um, Aki Kondo. Did you, did you do this? Um, No. All right, I'm going to look up Sen X. Uh, God damn it. Is it in chat? Has someone <laughs> posted it in chat? Because I can't. Answer the postcard. Now's your time to sabotage ah. Doc by posting. Ah. Curse curse the day. I can't find it. But it's it was really fun. I like that anime so much. Um, 10,000 different hits. I know. I know. I really like... Basically, these like aliens that looked like uh, the Amazon box cats landed, like they crashed or whatever on Earth, and they were trying <laughs> to leave, but they're all pretty stupid. And so only one of them was like really interested in fixing the ship. The rest of them were very much like, what is this place? Like, And they're very tiny. Uh, so yeah, I know, right? This, is, this research is really good television. <laughs> And I really I failed at it. I, I totally Googling failed. intensifies. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm self conscious about it. I don't want to do it any anymore and <laughs> take up any more time with it. So um the thing I will talk about really briefly though is No Guns Life. Um this is an anime about gun control in America. And <laughs> no, it's not. Um I don't know why they call it this, but uh this is like a show that is a sort of noir cyberpunkish kind of thing where it's Nyanbo. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Nyanbo. I was convinced is I was con I was convinced that you would not remember that and you're gonna wake up in a cold sweat at three o'clock in the morning yelling Nyanbo and your wife would have woken up and gone, What's that? And it's like, oh I'm sorry honey, I didn't mean that. My bad. Nyanbo is a Japanese anime television series by Shiragumi. Um a spin off of uh Kiyohiko Asma's Yotsubato manga. So this is like related to that if you if you like that manga. It's a very popular manga. Cat versions of Dumbo characters. Man, this show is so funny. God damn it. It really cracked me up. Um 
As Koratora places a summary for episode two, as Koratora places a ball into a UFO piece, the UFO piece rejects it. They meet the Nyanbo angels. <laughs> I don't know. But, but of course. <laughs> it's ridiculous. What a great show. Anyway, No Guns Life. Let's talk about that because it's it's worthy to be talked about. It's it's a fun show. Um, it is weird but great. You're right. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it great, but it's cool and good, and it is exactly as advertised, right? <laughs> um, it is, uh, yeah, it's a cyberpunk noir thing where it's the far future. Uh, it is... Like, people are getting cybernetic enhancements to their body parts. And it's because of this war. The government made a bunch of cyborgs and everything. And so... As you do. Yeah. And after that, it became this commercial thing. Um, Like, there's one scene where, like, you see this doctor character... Or not even... Doctor is, like, a weird... Because she's a doctor, but of cybernetics, right? So she's not, like, a... I can do surgery on human flesh. But she's, like... She's, like, a, a, a gear monkey. And anime does those characters really well, like really well, like that are obsessive, like ladies that are like just super obsessive about technology. Like there's one in My Hero Academia who I really like. Um, she has her lovelies, as she calls them, her her tech. But uh, <laughs> but this girl uh, is the owner of a shop. And yeah, there's a part where she's basically takes this one girl apart, <laughs> like all the way. And it can be a little unsettling because she's just, Wow. Took you apart. Uh, that's a, to change that's an intense first date. And, um, but the main character is this guy who uh, basically has a gun, like a pistol, magnum type pistol for a head. And uh, he runs like if a that, private detective oh, if, agency. If I may point out, if that's not a customization option in Cyberpunk 2077, then I will be incredibly disappointed, CD Projekt Red. Make it happen. I want to <laughs> have, I want to have a single action army as a head. For my cyberpunk character, I'm just saying I will pay for it. Like cyberpunk Winry, that is such a good, that is such a good uh, analogy of this character. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, he runs a private detective agency, and his hobbies are like house cleaning. Uh, he's a very mild mannered, gun headed man. Uh, but when he when he has to, and he has a certain type of cigarette that he loves, for instance. That he he will only smoke. He's a chain smoker. There's nary a scene in the show where he's not smoking, but he's very loyal <laughs> to this one brand. Uh, how a gun smokes is he doesn't stick it in the gun barrel. He like sticks it. <laughs> he has like a mandible like a jaw, so he like puts it in there. I don't know how he's smoking. I don't know how that goes, but it happens. And uh, so this guy, you know, he uh, gets mixed up in this case where. Um, you know, uh, that that turns him, kind of pits him against the government, right? As these things tend to go. Like a big giant, like, yield mm. suit of armor stumbles into his office and it's like, help me. Uh, you know, I've been framed. They, You know, they're acting like I've killed somebody. But it's mm. not true. Like, I'm part of this big, like, cover-up. There's, like, a secret lab where they're experimenting on kids and turning them into evil, like, out-of-control cyborgs. And, As you do. You know, he gets into it uh, very deep. And uh, he ends up rescuing the kid. Uh, and he fights against a scantily clad lady who is cybernetically enhanced. 
um, again, as, as you, you do. do. Yeah, not, not, none of this sounds unusual. This is oh. very much like yes, this show is like it, as it advertised. Was a, it was a it was a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, like you have big gunhead guy trying to unravel the mystery of the kid who was controlling the suit of armor. He has a he has an enhancement called harmony, which just means like like his body like he's paralytic but he can with harmony control any like sort of possess cyborgs at one point he possesses Ooh. mr gunhead the main character and gets him into all kinds of trouble um just quite unethical uh, as you'd imagine um but uh so yeah uh he's the detective is trying to be like, so who's this kid what is going on with him? What is the lab he's talking about? Like, who's controlling it? Like, what what do they want? And getting into a lot of fights with cybernetically enhanced grown-ups and teens along the way. And also, mm-hmm. whenever Cyberpunk Winry is, like, in the show, is, like, the best part of the show. She <laughs> is great in her singular focus on loving taking apart cyborgs and putting them back together. She's amazing. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's, it's fun. It's like, you know, one of those things like uh, that's pretty like mindless is not the right word, but like um, you don't really have to think about it a lot. Um, you, can t- you can turn your brain, your brain space off. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you want to follow what's going on, but it doesn't really ask oh, yeah. much of you, you know, no. uh, intellectually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, his legs were cut, so he can't run away. That's right. Um, but it's very anime in that way. You know, like we've been saying, like, everything's like, oh, as you do. No surprise, you know. Um, <laughs> it it, it kind of plays to convention and, and type, but sometimes that's good, and every season needs that kind of thing, I think. And uh, yeah. if you have Funimation or Hulu, you know, uh, over here in America, you could check it out. I don't know if it's availability elsewhere, but... Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's some the the setting is um, always one I enjoy. I enjoy the cyberpunkery. Um, <laughs> so yeah, anytime I can get some some of that business, uh, I'm willing to give things the benefit of the doubt. And I like I said, I wouldn't call it like great, um, but it is enjoyable and a lot of fun. Um, well, at least the show isn't firing any blanks. No, <laughs> indeed. indeed. Um, I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to talk about, or may I mention? No, uh, that that uh, brings me to my end. Uh, I've, I've talked about the three things. I, well, I would mention about. one last thing that I've watched Ooh. one episode of called "Ascendancy of a Bookworm." Ah, and it's a show that, like, I'm really conflicted about how I feel about it. Oh dear. Um, I just maybe. Maybe it like stresses me out in a way that it doesn't stress out other people. I think because <laughs> okay, here, here is the the deal. At the beginning, our main character is uh, a librarian, uh, presumably. She loves being surrounded by books. She loves to read. She loves the idea of like. Here all around me is the knowledge of of humankind, and I can you know, take benefit from it whenever I want. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she loves to do the reading. And suddenly, um, something occurs very abruptly in that world that she is in. It doesn't really oh, go into detail. Oh dear! That when you say that world is a distinguished, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, dark. No, I thought I thought I was the canary in the coal mine for this <laughs> shit. I thought it was my responsibility, you know, to be whisked off to other worlds and then come back and complain about how shit they are. But again, you like, or rather, you're conflicted about this show. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Maybe you're um, the right. Maybe you're the right person for this. It is not an isekai, by the way. Um, oh, thank fuck for that. It is. Uh, <sighs> If anything, it has more in common with Saga of Tanya the Evil than oh than uh, than Isekai, um, and I say this is someone who likes Saga of Tanya the Evil. So, oh Nazi Rugrats, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, the girl I can't remember her name. I remember her name in in not the first name she gives, but yeah. Anyway, something happens in her world uh, that, um, well, neither was Sonic of Tanya the Evil was not shit, Dana. I beg to differ. (laughs) Um, Most people that dismiss that show have not watched it. And I will, I will continue to just say, watch the show if you, if you don't think it is. Uh, It's not a perfect show. It's not a show that is like anime of the, it's, I liked it though. I thought it was, was good. Um, But uh, and it's quite funny as well, um, uh, because the the person possessing Tanya is like in a feud with God, basically, which is just makes me laugh. Um, anyway, bookworm, back to bookworm. Uh, so yeah, like I said, something occurs in the librarian's world. She doesn't really explain the nature of the disaster in the first episode, but she does have a dying wish that is like, uh, let me. Um, like be surrounded by books again or let me read again in the next life. You did. You said I said it's like Tanya and you said it's not shit though. <laughs> like I think I think Bookworm was I think um Dana was referring to my comment about Isekai. Oh, I apologize. This is what delay gets us. I I apologize. Uh very sorry. Um that's my bad. So, uh Yes, she has a prayer to God, like, let me read more. Uh, And then (laughs) suddenly she wakes up as a very young girl called, uh, it's pronounced mine, but it's spelled main, um, like a main character. Oh, it's in the state. Um. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, without the E. Without the E. Finally, Maine has a, has a representative. <laughs> no, can but be this, proud not, of. this is not the same spelling. So, no oh, representation for Mainites. Um, anyway, uh, so Maine, like this other girl, has come into possession of Maine's body. Maine is a pre-existing person with memories, thoughts, and feelings of her own. And now our previous character is inhabiting the body. I don't know if the kid has died. I don't know if she's been poofed into non-existence. 
I don't know if the original main swapped places and went to the disastrous future time. Um, oh, so we're getting the uh, your names shenanigans again. Well, but they're both ladies. So without all the um, I have breasts now. Yeah. Uh, What's this? What is this? How do I use this? Right, right without all of this. Um, I don't know what happened to the previous, but like, let me just tell you that uh, the lease my expired. consciousness Need to get the contract renewed. <laughs> my consciousness, uh, sort of awakening in another person's body, is terrifying to me. It is. Ooh horrific i would rather die that especially if you go across time like main did because in the world that she is in now uh no more books or rather it is a pre-printing press time in history uh and so they must be hand copied and therefore only really 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 rich people which people rich people have them. Well, witches have books. Spells, um, admittedly, but they do have books. Like, for a while she thinks that books don't exist because her family's like, what's a book? And and she's also too small to open the door. Like, that's how little she is. Uh, and the family are buying this drastic change in personality because apparently when the main character possesses Maine's body, she Maine was very, very sick had a very high fever and so it's like ah. ah like you're you know you're still feeling weird from the sickness um kind of thing but was but was she down with it she was not uh ooh, ah, 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 down with the sickness <laughs> um sorry <laughs> yeah uh and so in the first episode yeah she finds a book and tries to get to read it but the man won't let her because it's only for rich nobles um and that's kind of the first episode like there's before we are privy to the flashback the very beginning is like a really kind of fanciful like you know handsome looking scholar type in a tower that puts a magical item on main and uh you know wants is trying to figure out uh stuff about her past he's like you love books so much you've written several books why i want to know about you because you're so little yet you have such a love for books Mm -hmm. this is abnormal and so we get one of those things where it starts at a certain point on the timeline and then we have to go all the way back to the beginning and eventually we'll get there um Mm. But my goodness, I was just so kind of unsettled by this whole thing about being forcing oh, a consciousness not... out of the body and like now existing in a totally different time. Well, I'm well, I'm body. incredibly disappointed, Doc, because that means I now have to can the idea I was going to tell you later of our thousand dollar patron reward. Oh no, you cut out! I didn't hear you. I was going to say like I'm I'm disappointed in you, Doc, because now I'm going to have to can our thousand dollar patron tier <laughs> reward. Which is going to involve a body swap between you and me, but well, <laughs> yeah, we never can't. mind. We can't. We cannot do that. Oh my god! Well, for a thousand dollars per month, Doc, come on. It's not enough. We could. We, <laughs> we could. Fine. Fine. God damn it. Uh, no, I, I like the concept though. Um, it reminds me a little bit, uh, tangential though this may be, of an episode of the Twilight Zone called "Time Enough at Last." 
uh, which is, hey, I'll have a wise of three books, but then there's a consequence to wishing for that mm. um, as a result, which I'll not spoil because the episode itself is actually quite good. Um, That's cool. As for, as for me, the idea of body swapping, like... But I don't even know if it's body swapping because I feel well, like the, the little girl's consciousness, she's just dead. He's just no more because we don't hear anything. For Granted, I've only seen one episode. And, uh, it's, you know, it's... and also, oh, I get the Ooh. I get the feeling that it's not going to explore this. Like that's that's not the angle it's taking. The angle is we have a book lover, and what if we what's we need books? to yeah how how is she going to like get herself in a situation where she has like access to books where she can sell books and buy books and make books and be surrounded like how is she going to like ingratiate herself into the the rich upper class or whatever what if what if it was a time loop that you know oh jesus <laughs> because you know books became more prolific as a result of her actions in Maine's body Ooh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh my gosh I don't know. I've not watched the show, so I can't comment. But yeah, not not bad concepts of itself. Like that fish out war thing, you know, like, what? well, here's the thing I love. Now it's gone, but do I bring it back? Mm-hmm. Like, can I bring it back? I mean, we've seen concepts like this recently, like with, uh, what was that film where the gentleman, like, was the only person in the world who remembered the music of the... Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of and thing. And then he made... So... <laughs> he made a lot of money. <laughs> oh. So that could be interesting, certainly. Uh, may check it out, uh, but yeah, I've. Are there any other shows I want to check out? This, well, we've already covered shows I really probably would should check out, like Stars Align, for example. No guns on life. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that particularly picks my fancy right now. But cooking Master said, Boy, uh, true Cooking Master Boy. You have to watch an episode. I, I have to watch an episode. Yes. of the insanity. You must that. watch an episode. Fair, fair enough. Uh, but to people in the chat, if you have shows that you know we've not covered today that you think might be worth us having a look at, uh, feel free to let us know. Hit us up at Warrior Death Show on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, offer your pitches like, "Hey, here's this show, and here's why you'd like it." Or rather, if you want to be masochistic, here's this show, and here's why you'd hate it. <laughs> uh, I saw I'll take that. I saw uh, Dana and Sophie talking about. Is it Iruma Iroha? Uh, Aloha. No. Aloha. <laughs> Alona? Alone in the dark? Uh, I'm scrolling up, but I can't. One, they'll have to remind us um, which one they're talking about and uh, whether or not it's good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I because of the nature of my life at the moment, I don't get to watch as many seasonal shows as I would like to, so um in addition to um, Vinland and Sherlock, uh, <laughs> we're talking about currently airing stuff. Uh, yes, you want definitely want sh- Shadon sh- to watch I, I Rakugo Shinji. Watch Rakugo Shinji though. Um, yeah. Yes, you should. You would love it a lot. It's it's excellent. Um, and I, I'm going to try to keep up with um, uh, Shin Cooking Master Boy and um, Stars Align for sure. Um, Oh yeah, well, I almost watched that for this podcast. I almost watched it. I was very, very close, but I just wanted to keep on with the other things that I was watching. So, um, so, but I might, I might check it out. Uh, but, but yeah, like I said, it's hard for me to keep up. But I've, I think I've got three 
in addition to our no wait two two more in addition to what we're covering um that i'm gonna try to stay on top of uh and freaking beast stars no it is three god damn it this is why i like to binge because it's so hard for me to keep up with everything week on week well i guess you and me are gonna talk about that in the new year then I guess, but I'd love to talk about it on... Uh, well, I guess we're not going to do an anime of the year type podcast, so um, maybe, maybe we'll we'll find occasion to talk about it. Uh, we'll have to, we may have to parachute in the bucket. We that. definitely will. I think that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, anyway, I think that otherwise wraps up our discussion this yep, evening, if I'm not sure mistaken, Doc. Um, um, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, n- normally in this space we do <laughs> 12 shows. Gosh, Dana. Uh, normally in this space we do uh, how do you call uh we we do Vinland Saga. Uh, and that will resume next week. Uh oh yes. When we get the cage match of the century. Exactly. Except there hasn't been the cage hasn't been invented no. yet. <laughs> um, it's for Kel in a cell. Uh what rhymes with boat? That's a good like fighty goat. word. That's like, the goat. Um bloat. Stoat. Bloat, stoat. Choke on a no, but just I guess battle on the boat. There is no boat in this one though. There's the fighting in the snowfield. That's the well, previous one. Listen, there's no cage either, but we're gonna be like we have to think of something of the time. We have to put them boat in a boat cage match. Um. <laughs> so yeah, we we finally get to see if uh you know uh Thorfinn, you know finally kills his uh, great uncle. Mm-hmm. That's gonna go down well. <laughs> well done, kid. You fucked me up real good. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Oh my I god. I can't imagine Falkel dying. <laughs> like Falkel Falkel is like the one character I can imagine who is physically capable of punching the common cold out of his own body. I know. Yeah. No, they're the the uh, virus like, is if he, afraid if, he's, of him. If, he, if he if he starts sneezing, he just punches himself and just flies out in a cloud and flees for a different I agree. country. I agree. But yes, so if you've happened upon our channel uh next week we'll go back to our vinland saga talk uh or episode mm-hmm. 18 um yep once it resumes uh but if you've enjoyed our our chatter and want to be part of uh, our community uh so there's a couple ways you could do that uh patreon um gets you access to our discord we got three um budget-friendly tiers two three and five dollar um mm-hmm if you go all the way to the max there you can get uh you can get all sorts of content like we cover other shows in addition to vinland uh week on yep. week we, we cover shows and requests as mm-hmm. well yeah we do audio um, essays uh we'll be doing some uh some coverage of some more classic content quite soon oh yes um, yes i really i i'm not going to spoil it folks uh look forward to that because myself and doc uh, we last Friday recorded a classical style podcast like the way we've done it in the past on a film, uh, which I will not reveal the identity of. I fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, baby. It was so and, good. And I cannot wait for it to be out there for you all to enjoy. Uh, it's our little one of our little Christmas treats from us to you. Um, I will be back myself soon with some more Patreon content that will be out before the end of the month on the show that I keep alluding to, but will not talk about because I don't want to, you know, be arrested for spousal <laughs> fantasy. Um, it's not a show that one talks about lightly. Uh, I can confirm it is a bag of wank, but that is all I'll say at the moment. Well, um, 
Yeah, that is uh, that's gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> to hear that. Uh, talking about bad things you, you, is something you 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 you, you know exactly what show I it do. is as well. I do. No, Tokyo Tokyo Godfathers is out. Uh, mm-hmm. Dana, it has been out for about two three weeks now. Yes, uh, that is available. For, yep, I have covered Tokyo Godfathers as an audio essay. Very good. Uh, I've also co- I've also covered Akikin, which is now publicly available. If you want to hear me, you know, lose my fucking mind. Um, so yeah, if you want to get me or Doc to co- or, or Vox to cover like shows that you want us individually specifically to talk about, consider becoming a patron for five dollars. If you become a tier lower than that, you still get access to things like our Discord where we have game nights and stuff. You know, we like to host a little couple of party games here and there, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, early access to our ongoing Kabuchiko Sherlock stream, as well as um, being able to then vote later on the next one we cover. All sorts of great stuff. So give it a look. Put a little change in the tip jar for us. And I promise you, you will be uh, it'll be well worth it. Um, also, there, uh, you know, you can tweet us uh, at Waterweedesho, Gmail, Waterweedesho at gmail.com. We have a YouTube. Um, when when we could still stream on YouTube, we had a pretty active comment section. It's still pretty active, uh, and and uh, SoundCloud as well. So there's ways you can get involved if uh, you know. You're not able to financially uh, support, and that is totally fine. And we love and appreciate all of you that are tuning in live or, or on demand, whether or not you're part of the the patron community. Um, but yeah, you can indeed make Shadon suffer uh, for a for a low low price. Um, Thank you everyone yeah. for doing that <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. I promise, I'm very happy to be doing that. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you all once again. Sh- Shadon suffering is fun times. We uh, are gonna wrap this up, and uh, whenever the opportunity presents itself to do uh, streams in between things, um, in between seasons, or you know, in between in, in be streams, in be st- <laughs> oh, that's oh, a nice one. Sorry, that's good. Sorry, um. Yeah, we'll try to do those. Uh, so just be on the lookout for those. And uh, everybody, um, from us to you, uh, we love all of you. And Indeed. until next time, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. Good night.